Hey everyone, David Chen here, and just a quick note to let you know that the following podcast episode you're about to hear was recorded on Saturday, May 30th, in the very, very early hours of the morning. We hope whatever you're doing, that you're staying safe out there this week. Thanks, and hope you enjoy the episode. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Slash Filmcast. I'm David Chen, and with me are... Devendra Hardawar. And Jeff Kanata. Welcome to the show, everyone. Today, uh, we're going to talk about some of the stuff that's been going on since the last recording, the launch of HBO Max, the Snyder Cut, and then we're going to move on to what we've been watching before concluding with an in-depth review. This week, uh, we've reached into our back catalog, our, our pile of shame, or, uh, in this case, a movie that Devendra wanted us all to see uh, that Jeff and I had not seen. That movie pile of is... Pride? Is it a pile of pride? It's a pile of pride this time. Sure. Uh, that movie is Tampopo. You're welcome. <laughs> and uh, look... <laughs> Thanks, Devendra. See, I told you, pile of pride. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <It> is very <laughs> proud. <laughs> Looking forward to talking about uh, this movie with you guys. Uh, but before we do that, I like to just check in with people uh, every week, see how you guys are doing. How how are th- uh, things happening in New York and LA, gents? I'll tell you, in Seattle right now, um, we are doing our phased reopening of the state, and uh, things are going okay. They're not they're not they're not terrible in terms of uh, what it's like to actually live here right now. Uh, how about you, Devendra? What's what's it like in New York at this point? Sounds uh, sounds pretty nice over there, Dave, <laughs> um, because. <laughs> I mean, there are widespread riots happening all across Brooklyn and New York and a lot of other cities. Uh, Not too far from me is where people were protesting uh, police violence most recently. So that has been crazy. Personally, I'm just like in, uh, yeah, I'm in moving mode. I am hopefully closing on a house by the end of June and moving down to the Atlanta area. And yeah, just trying to get the family down there safely. So that is my goal for the next month. Congratulations! Uh, yeah, Thank congrats, Devendra. Uh, that's that's really awesome. And yeah, Thank you know, you. I, I, I I like in the show notes we have this thing of like check in with everyone about like the COVID situation, and uh, I obviously uh, also recognize that uh, a lot of this country is literally on fire right now, um, and there are going to yep. be protests in Seattle today as well. Um, I hope everyone is staying as safe as you can out there. Jeff, how are you doing over there in Los Angeles? Oh man, yeah, no, it's great. Uh, <laughs> Just want to say, you know, we did what we've done what you know, four hundred plus episodes together, uh, uh-huh. yeah. and uh, this is the first time I've seen you guys on video while we're doing it, and it's weird. Freaking <laughs> me out, man. Yeah, we're I'm broadcasting. Just, uh, live, I'm jealous live of uh, Jeff's quarantine hair right now because it's very <laughs> it's quaffed in a really nice way, and all I could do is buzz mine down. So you're looking good, Jeff. I, I have to credit the wife for the. She just did the sides in the back, but she, you oh, know, same. first yeah. time she's ever cut hair, and it was impressive. <laughs> for those who uh, don't know, I, I made the impromptu decision to make this a video broadcast on our Twitter account today, and so that's what Jeff's commenting on. So it's just you uh, get in a rhythm. It's you know, you guys are great. I love seeing you guys, but it's you get in a rhythm of communicating, doing sure. the show, and only hearing people, and then you <laughs> and then you you're on camera, and you're they're on camera, and it's a, it's a different kind of yeah. it's uh, it's a different kind <laughs> of interaction. You know, this actually, okay, so I, w- I want to hear how you're doing, but I actually have, there's a, a listener email that's very closely related to what you're saying right now. Um, but yeah, 
How, how are you holding up down there in LA, Jeff? I, I mean, every day is worse than the last. It doesn't seem to be, you know, we have, uh, it's just a nightmare hellscape. You know, now we have to deal with cops. Come on. Come on. We're just trying yeah. to get through here. I'm just trying to survive to, to the next day. And now it's like everything. It's, it's, it's everything. I, you know. Who knows what's next? I can't. Let's have, uh, I did let's hear have... the uh, what what monkeys escaped with uh, COVID samples. Yes, so. no, yes. Clearly, the writers of this yeah. reality are <laughs> need to be fired. We are going down the twenty eight days later path immediately. It is yeah. I, this thing. They, this this reality jumped the shark four years ago, and clearly, um... but now it's like it's like they are. It's not just jump the shark. It's you guys need to be fired, all of you. The entire writers' room gone. W- it is... We are we are in the Armin Tamzarian episode of The Simpsons right now. Basically, <laughs> like that's. They have completely run out of ideas. They're just throwing things against the wall. Um, yes, but yeah, it's uh, it's been a terrible week um, in terms of uh, police violence and the uh, protests against them. I I think are uh, giving voice to a lot of rage that uh, a lot of this country is feeling right now. That is, I think, exacerbated by all the events the last few months. It's um, not great. It's yeah. it's particularly not great too because. We're seeing how black and brown populations in this country are being like the most affected by COVID. And because a lot of them are frontline workers and the people doing the stuff and being in danger. And now police violence is like the thing that's still it's still happening. So it's like all these things happening all at once. I think people have had enough. So I, I can fully understand why people are so angry and good luck to everybody who's out there in the streets. Yeah. Same. Same. Uh, It's, it's, it's just so disheartening you know it, it we are some we've somehow divided ourselves down the line of caring about other people yeah I, I don't know how that happened i don't know how it, it's become that you know that wearing a mask has become a symbol of weakness for a large portion of people and it's it's just the simplest bit of consideration you can do for other humans it is it's un, it, like literally everything is just about do you give a shit about your fellow human beings or not how how did that become the divide i don't i don't i don't comprehend it it's hard and it's disheartening it's incredible yeah there is a huffington post article from uh a few years ago by uh, kayla chadwick at huffington post and she wrote the headline is i don't know how to explain to you that you should care about other people yeah you know and and, yeah. and that i think is basically one of the key issues that uh, we faced over the course of the last few years is like there, there's just a significant portion of the population that doesn't feel like we need to care about other people. You know, it's not um, even that they don't feel like we need to care about other people. It's that caring about other people is actively a, a weakness. It's seen as a weakness. It's seen as tyrannical. Yes, um, to, it's to do that. Yeah. And the craziest thing to me, and I know I shouldn't even say this out loud, <laughs> but the craziest thing to me is that. A large portion of the people who believe that are the same people that purport to believe in the teachings of Jesus Christ, which is insane. Like the one person who literally his entire existence was about be nice to people who are less fortunate than you. And those same people are like, you know, the one thing we definitely can't do is be nice to people less fortunate than us. <laughs> yeah. know, these uh, these immigrants coming in uh, can't help them. 
at all. It is it is insane that there's the <laughs> those two thoughts can exist in the same mind at the same time. I don't get it. Well, anyway, I it just <laughs> it just sorry. feels kind of no, it's cool. I mean, it it feels just uh perverse almost to do this podcast in a time when everything's happening right now, you know, and yeah. uh, uh but we we take control where we can, basically. <laughs> and this, yeah, is, uh, so this is what we can control. Want to acknowledge basically that uh, the pandemic continues to roil our society, and then on top of that, we've seen tons of videos of racist incidents and then eruptions of riots in the last uh, week, uh, and a president that seems to want to exacerbate it by literally threatening to shoot his own citizens. You know, it's just like uh, that is something that is happening in the world as we're talking about Tampopo from the Criterion Collection. Today. <laughs> yeah, you know so, what though. 1985 or whenever this movie came back came out boy it's nice to revisit it's really nice, <laughs> it's nice to, to revisit, revisit. <laughs> also i think the uh i will talk about this in the review but i think the sheer like humanism and heart and like genuine emotion in this movie like yeah this movie is the sort of thing that i feel like everybody should watch learn how to empathize with other people in things that they want yeah Nothing bad happened to people in the eighties, did it, Jeff? I mean, um, I, I, I take your point, and I, I even as I said it, I understand. There's always been there's always been problems, but uh, for me, who was a child in the eighties, boy, the eighties seemed nice. <laughs> it's nice. There was I, another pandemic we screwed up back then, but yeah, it's all. I don't. Yeah, no, true. A, there, that is in fact the case. But, that is um, true. Yep. I, and I actually tweeted this week that you know, uh, watching the last dance. Uh, as I did, uh, yeah. I kept, it just was such a, it's a such comfort food of revisiting the nineties. Yeah. And because the nineties I was in high school and, you know, early nineties, like 91, 92, I was in, I was in high school and the, it just, the nostalgia for that time mm -hmm. when I didn't have the weight of the world on my shoulders as purely a function of my age, right. As a, as a kid who just was, blind to the legitimate problems that were still present then i wonder if kids who are graduating from high school will have nostalgia for now it, it, i it, you know i don't think they will no, no. Um, unless I, the I world gets way will, worse actually i i do think they will i think i think it is i think it is there's a, almost a reassuring sensation that there's kids that are gonna be like man it was so great when we got to like stay home for months at a time and it could be you know there, th there is a tiktok uh, have you, have right you now. talked to any kids recently jeff because everyone <laughs> i know uh thinks this sucks like this sucks. not well, having yeah. like prom not having graduation like what do you yes but, I, I literally don't know what you're talking about right now well i, uh, I tweeted <laughs> this out and many people responded that yeah my high school kids are talk about this as as the the corona vacation or something like that that, yeah. that I I do not think nostalgia is a function of the reality of the times. I think mm. of nostalgia is a function of age. And I do think that these that kids are going to yeah. look back on this and feel like those were the days because we always do. Because my parents look back on the 60s and go, those were the days. <laughs> it's you know? also it's yeah, how we process emotions. One of my favorite podcasts is a uh, hidden brain on NPR. And that's actually all about nostalgia. By looking into the past is how we can be more optimistic and look towards the future. So I kind of agree with that. I just also want to shout out, there's a TikTok trend right now of kids just recreating like uh, mid-2000s living, like just hanging out <laughs> with friends, like pretending they're in their homes, trapped, but they're pretending they're hanging out with friends on TikToks. Like, oh, this is what it was like in the before time. So 
we're exploring all this stuff in really interesting ways. Yeah. I'm curious. Yeah. I'm curious. Like if you are um, in high school or in college and living through this right now, do you think you're you a youth? Do you yeah. think you will look back at this time with fondness, tweet at us or email us at slash filmcast at gmail.com. Um, I'll be, I'll be curious to, to learn the, the answer to that. Um, I also don't think I, that they can know that, but okay. Yeah. 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 Uh, just, I don't think just you have the, the clarity in the moment to, uh, to email know. Email us in five to 10 years. Yeah, exactly. Email us if we're still yeah, here. By the way, that's, that's when Dave will be checking your email anyway, so. <laughs> <laughs> One of my favorite college humor sketches is uh, this guy who who talks who talks like what Jeff Kanata was just like was just talking like, and he's like, "Man, weren't the '90s great? I wish I could go back to the '90s." And then this guy, this magical time traveler, appears that takes him back to the '90s, and he's like look at this like pogs you know like amazing and then he's like he's like and i guess you know what you have to do now you have to prevent 9-11 from happening you know <laughs> it's like, and then the, the whole sketch is about him uh grappling with how to prevent 9-11 from happening because it's actually not that easy to do if you were oh. transported back in time i've um, actually had thought that myself I, I don't know why but i've actually thought like <laughs> what would you even if, if you were just a lone time traveler who got plunked back before and I'm like how you would there's no way you could alert you know why because literally a memo was given to the government saying that was going to happen and no one paid attention to that actually you know spoiler alert for the sketch but basically what he concludes is that the only way to do it is for him to hijack a plane Wow, um, and yeah. and then uh, this is a great Twilight Zone episode. Yeah, yeah and basically. and it's wow. like wow, his you know his true dream of going back to the '90s, Jeff. It became a nightmare. It's a nightmare. Oh wow! It became a nightmare. And then so someone just, steps on his glasses, and he can't read any of the books. <laughs> just keep that in mind uh, whenever you have your '90s nostalgia. Um, is that if you were able to go back, you'd probably be preoccupied with 9/11. Um, okay. So on that note, let's you move on. I, you think I wouldn't enjoy the Bulls championship run because I'd be I'd be so preoccupied with 11. I, I that is what I am in fact I'm saying. All right. Let's, on that note. On that uh, what note, a, what a fun times we have here on the Slash Filmcast. <laughs> let's move on uh, and talk about HBO Max. HBO Max launched this week, guys. Yeah. So here, sure. here's my question: Have you all tried HBO Max? Yeah. Yeah. It what, actually, what, is, it, what is trying HBO Max? I loaded up the menu and looked what they had. That's yeah. trying it, I guess. Did it just work for you, Jeff? Because that's <laughs> the that's the main problem, right? I was able to on my Apple TV, I just hit the HBO Now app and it like transformed into HBO Max and same on my phone. But for a lot of people, they didn't know how to log in. They didn't have access. Uh devices like the Roku's and the Fire TVs don't even have it, which is astounding to me. Yeah. Amazing. Yeah. Yeah, uh, two of the most popular platforms don't have HBO Max, but uh, on my Apple TV, HBO Now tr- magically transformed into HBO yep. Max. Uh, I will say that the if you're a cinephile or if you like older movies particularly, like the collection is actually pretty impressive. It's good. Um, yeah, they have a TCM hub, you know, with a lot of Criterion Collection movies. Tampopo <laughs> is streaming on HBO Max. Oh really? I didn't even realize. I didn't that. Know I that, Criterion notice, Channel. Notice that either. I I spent four bucks on that movie. <laughs> Well, also, Criterion Channel has uh, all the special features from the Criterion Edition, so another reason to subscribe to Criterion Channel, but yeah. Yeah, the HBO Max does not have all the special features, as, I, no, as far as it I can wouldn't. tell. Those are always, yeah, just trapped in Criterion. But, but yes, uh, yeah, they have, the, they have the Studio Ghibli movies, they have some anime, like, they have a whole bunch of great stuff. I don't care about the exclusive shows, but it's like a great variety of content, right? 
Yeah, Studio Ghibli uh, stuff is a game changer for many people as well. Yeah. Um, so it's an easy way to watch that stuff. So, uh, yeah, I would say other than not being on a couple of the big platforms, uh, I, I am actually, uh, you know, using it quite a bit. Um, yeah. I mean, it's just HBO. It's just HBO. <laughs> That's all it is. This is not a new thing. Uh, I wrote a piece yesterday in Gadget because it seems like the main takeaway so far is that the launch sucked and it was really messy and that's true and i think hbo uh warner media was the company that owns them that owns hbo max um but they are definitely at fault for not communicating things well if you look at the like byzantine ways uh people may or may not have access to it uh several people have tweeted that they are in a quantum state of having and not having <laughs> hbo max because they should have it but their current logins does not work and if they try to use the login it says it does not like it's through their cable network or something. So it is a huge mess logistically. But you're looking forward, like man, they this is what HBO needs to do to compete with Disney Plus and Apple TV Plus. I guess that's not really a competitor. Uh, more like Disney Plus and Netflix. Like all the major media companies are going to have these streaming platforms. These one-off things like HBO Now and CBS All Access. I don't think those are enough. You need kind of the big hit like this to really survive. Uh, it's Schrodinger's HBO Max. Yeah, I, I have seen quite a bit of confusion online about whether you have it or not, whether you need to pay for it. This actually happened to me. Uh, I got this deal on Facebook that said, hey, I should, um, uh, I can subscribe to HBO Max for like $12 a month which, or $11 a month, which is cheaper than the $15 a month it would usually cost. Mm-hmm. And then I was like, oh, well, I'm, I'm totally doing that. So I like hit subscribe and started doing it. And then literally three days after HBO Max launches, I get a text from AT&T saying, hey, as a subscriber to AT&T Unlimited, you get HBO Max for free. And I'm like, yeah. oh, yeah, yeah. okay. Because it's it's owned by <laughs> AT&T now. Right. Like AT&T bought uh, Time Warner and like the, you know, that was a big deal. It took years to get approved. And this is the thing. They need to bank on this whole service. Otherwise, uh, that entire merger was a was a colossal mistake so So, uh, basically i'm saying if you are confused about whether you have hbo max or not that is completely normal i think they did a pretty rough job in communicating that um my wife was a hundred percent convinced that hbo max was a combination of hbo and cinemax oh that's hilarious that's hilarious Um, which uh, all the high quality television of hbo and the Softcore porn of Cinemax in one service. Also, HBO Max. Uh, here's what's here's what's also confusing is uh, Time Warner also owns Cinemax. Yes, so th- they could have combined them yes. if they wanted They've to. Cross premiered shows across Cinemax and HBO. They should just bring in the Cinemax stuff because there's a separate Cinemax subscription thing which there, doesn't make any no, sense. They're going to call that Cinemax app. They're going to call that Cinebo. I, I am not <laughs> joking that there is a, a Cinemax app called Max Go. Yeah. Just to just to make things a little more yep. confusing. So you got HBO Go, you got HBO Max, you got Cinemax, which is separate than those two things, and then you got Max Go, which is just Cinemax on the go. We Streaming. need to just have a moratorium yeah. on Go as a <laughs> suffix. You know, it's it it it. Come on, we're done with the Go. We're done with the we're going. Done. Everyone's well, go. We all go. We get it. We have a mobile well, phone. We understand. What about the plussing, Jeff? How do you feel about the plussing? I need to stop the plussing. The plussing. plussing the plussing's worse because then you can't type it in properly. Exactly. Thing, so, yeah. It's, it's confusing. The plussing, the going, the maximizing, the unlimiting. Let's, <laughs> yeah. let's calm down on all of that. 
Well, we're all going to, like, ultimately, this is just going to be HBO. Like, in a couple of years, that's all these things are going to be. We don't need the Max. We don't need anything else because you'll either get HBO through your cable network or you get HBO online. And that's it. But this is a rough period we're in where we have to iron out all this what crap. About, what if we just call it ABO, mm. right? <laughs> HBO is home box office, away box office, out of your house box office, right? Jeff, are you? Now it's literally, now it's literally home box Are you okay, office, Jeff? So. Are you yeah. doing okay? <laughs> I'm very much not okay. <laughs> you just, you seem a little bit more loopy than usual today. You're just, you're just all over the place right now, man. I love it. Um, there, there's a vape hidden behind Jeff's ear, and we just can't see it. Speaking of HBO Max, massive news this week for Justice League fans. Which was that uh, HBO Max announced that they will be debuting the Snyder Cut of Justice League. You say it that way, it sounds like there's a guy named Max. HBO yeah. Max. He walked out on stage. Anyway, sorry, go ahead. I'm sorry, it just sounds funny. HBO Max announced today. Hey, I'm HBO Max. Funny. So uh, let's just be clear about a couple things that has, uh, have already been made clear by other people before, uh, perhaps more skillfully than me, is... At this moment that we're recording this podcast, there is no such thing as a Snyder Cut. There was right? never such thing as a Snyder Cut. <laughs> it will exist because, yeah, fans cried. It, about yeah, it, so, it does yeah. not exist in the. It, it's not like there is an alternate version of Justice League that's just sitting on a shelf somewhere that you can just pull out and upload to the service. Uh, there was and that a was version. The whole concept that was the whole reason for the discussion. <laughs> The whole thing is insane. It's the, the whole, the entire idea of it was that there was he had a he had a concept that he didn't get to express, but that's not true. It didn't happen. So uh, yes, he he put together an early cut of the movie that had like ideas and concepts and stuff that weren't in the final film. Zack Snyder did. Uh, and then, unfortunately, personal strategy, uh, tragedy struck, and he couldn't finish the movie, and Joss Whedon was brought in to finish it. Mm -hmm. uh, so a lot of people have said, we want Snyder's original vision for Justice League. And after a lengthy campaign that involved incessant whining, complaining, and occasional bullying online. Uh, and also just making shit up that didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> they finally... <laughs> They finally got their wish, uh, and HBO Max is going to invest, I think, around twenty to thirty million dollars into completing a Snyder Cut version of the movie. Which right? you could make a whole other movie Ugh. for that. You, you you could make oh four indie films. You could make four Get Outs. That's with a the price of one of Snyder premium cut. television. Yeah, and the entire idea that this is now we get to see his original vision is completely false. <laughs> Because this is not going to be his original vision. This is going to be him getting $30 million to recut a movie. Well, uh, probably uh, not maybe recut, but presumably also, I, I, it's not clear if there's going to be reshoots with anyone. Right. Um, there might be ADR. There's probably going to be uh, visual effects, right? So A lot of shots of Henry Cavill's back or a body double <laughs> pretending to be Superman, <laughs> like, at the, like at the end of another certain DC movie. Yeah. I think it's fascinating. I'm kind of excited it's happening just because it's such a weird thing to do. It's such a weird experiment. And it'll be fun to see what changes he makes to them. But any kind of argument that this is now somehow getting back to a yep. a, a more true expression of what the movie was going to be is 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 bankrupt. That is not yep. 
That is not the case. It's just he's getting a second at bat. You know, he's just getting a second swing at this at this ball, and he can do he, based on all of the feedback. It's not what he originally wanted. It's now right. like a, a response, which right. is so much different and it's not how interesting in its own way. But yeah, so at some point, I'd love to do. By the way, like a just a walk back to like when a lot of this stuff started, because a lot of it's just fan culture, and you, you could go way back. But what what is the recent thing? And part of it was maybe was it the Mass Effect three ending? You know mm, where it was I would, literally I would changed. Goes, I would say it, it goes back go to back. it goes back to Star Wars uh, special edition. Is probably really sure. when it first began. Uh, Han no, shot I mean, first. I know. mean, I mean, studios actively changing things because of what the uh, fans said. I see. I see. I see. Yeah, yeah. 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 Where did they like start giving in? And for me, the thing I really remember is Mass Effect Three, which was just. Uh, it wasn't a big thing in the long run, but I think it definitely sparked a a big trend that we started seeing. Mm. Um. So, yeah, I, you know, here's my take on it: is I'm really uh, disappointed and mildly upset that this is happening, um, <laughs> because it's just it's just proof that the bullies win, basically. Um, well. Th- the, that, they'll never be happy. Is the thing they'll like, never they'll be happy. See this. If you, yeah, you know, if you give a mouse a cookie, it's going to want a glass of milk. <laughs> and we've already seen. We've already seen people are saying like, uh, David Ayer is like, hey, I would love to do a David Ayer cut of Suicide Squad, which people are already demanding. Um, as people are like, Josh Trank, you should give us your your cut of Fantastic Four. And Josh Trank was like, uh, no, I'm good. <laughs> He's like, no, no, thanks. <laughs> Uh, which I actually really, between Capone and that that tweet, I really my respect for Josh Trank has gone up quite a bit in the last couple of weeks. Um, Man, but yeah, uh, this is it, it, it has emboldened these people who feel like they can demand what they want from you know from studios and from creators, and uh, yeah, that's why we're seeing these these demands for the, the air cut and all these other things and. It's going to be this this kind of mentality has been strengthened and will continue to be with us and it's been made worse by this Snyder cut thing happening and that is disappointing. Well Dave all that all that I, said uh of course obviously we are all going to watch it and review it on this podcast. Oh, of um, course we will be day 1 we will be picking it apart. Day but 1. <laughs> I I have to say I am old enough to remember all of the think pieces and articles saying that Snakes on a Plane was heralding the new way movies are made, which is ask the right. internet what they want and make right. it. And then, of course, that movie came out. Nobody came. And no one yeah. gave a shit. And it didn't do well. And that idea didn't really pan out. So I don't know how well this idea is going to pan out. Of course, these are much larger properties and a, a, right. an already much more successful movie that's getting a second swing. So... Maybe it'll be different, but I also don't think it means the bullies won because I feel like that we already tried that. We tried the like, hey, what does the internet want? Let's just give it to them. And then the internet goes, no, 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 we just like posting in forums. We, yeah. we didn't even really All care about the All I want to do is make the memes. Yeah. Um, yeah. Well, it also kind of follows through from like studios really, you know, betting on geek, uh, the geek community and Comic-Con things like that. And that didn't work out for them. Right. In the long run, yeah, and that's so, what this is. I think that's what this yeah. is. It's a very small minority of Except people. It's the worst of it. It is the worst of. It's not just saying, "Hey, nerd culture, like you great 
uh, you know, multi-voice, diverse uh, group of people who love these properties. <laughs> what do you think? Now it's like, what do the angry bullies feel? Let's just give those people what they want. And that's what's really worrying me. I think also, uh, it just, it's just it's hard to overstate the intensity of the Snyder Cut people. I mean, these people took out bus ads. They flew like... You know, planes with like the messages in the you know the little string behind the plane and everything. You know, like it's like it, well, it's, it's if just you, if there's one thing you want. Is there one way you want to get the attention of studio executives? It's bus ads. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> An airplane with a release the Snyder Cut banner flew over Comic Con in 2019. I mean, I, I, there there are a few things that I can imagine myself getting passionate enough to rent an airplane to fly a banner about. <laughs> And a, a a director's cut of a f- middling superhero film that didn't perform that well at the box office is not one of them. You know, it's it's just like it's hard to understand. It's hard to understand the fanaticism. I'll just be honest with you; like it it yeah. escapes me to comprehend what it is. Um, uh, but it's going to be with us for for a lot longer. I predict, Jeff. We'll see. Maybe you're right. It's going to come out. It's going to be a dud. But my my prediction is that um, these people who demand the Snyder Cut will never be happy. Um, yes. The Snyder Cut will yeah. come out. Uh, it will not be good. And people will complain about it. They'll say, oh, well, if he had gotten $50 million or if Batman had, if Ben Affleck had come back to do if the reshoots. If only they could have done the reshoots, yeah. Right, you know, like, th- then it would be good. You know, like, and it's... It, it's gonna be with us forever. It's gonna be like Brexit, basically. It's gonna. Yeah. It's never gonna end. <laughs> it's the Brexit it's, of movies. It's, it's just gonna go on forever. I'm just um, sad. Well, I'm just sad, Devendra, that you and I have to cancel our plans to make that airplane pull the sign saying "Watch Firefly, Dave." <laughs> I have considered it. I have considered that, many things like that. That being said, <laughs> uh, it, it is. We're, we're as I as I mentioned, we are gonna watch it. It is fascinating, as you said, and um, yeah. I'll be curious to see uh, what and it, it might be released as a series. Like you know how the Hateful Eight was recut as like a a four episode or three episode series on Netflix. Uh, they, yes. they they might recut Justice League into four episodes. So oh, good. Look I forward. Hope to all it. of them are two and a half hours long. That was that was the problem with Justice League, by the way. Uh, not cut into enough pieces. <laughs> what was really the name? Cool. What was the name of the villain? Uh, was it Steppenwolf? Steppenwolf, yeah. But yeah. but apparently there's another there's another villain now. called Darkseid that's going to be in the Snyder Cut. So you can look forward yeah. to that. Look forward to that. Darkseid's actually pretty cool, but I yeah, mm, not looking forward to this. Okay. Hey, everyone. If you're like me, you're probably experiencing a bit of stress right now. And I've been using CBD to help me deal with that, specifically Feels, which is premium CBD that's delivered directly to your doorstep. It's naturally a way to reduce stress, anxiety, pain, and sleeplessness. Uh, Back when we were traveling, I would often take it uh, when I went to the airport. But these days, it's also a helpful thing when uh, the news just makes me feel kind of overwhelmed or I just need help sleeping. Feels is easy to take. You just place a few drops of feels under your tongue and you'll feel the difference almost immediately. It's very quick. Um, They offer real human support. With a CBD hotline and ways to, you know, tell you how much to take. Uh, and I think the best thing is that it just helps you feel better naturally. You've got a variety of options to choose from when it comes to sizes and dosage. So join the Feels community today to get it delivered directly to your doorstep. You'll save money and you can cancel at any time. 
And I'm just going to read this from Fields' website. Representations regarding the efficacy and safety of Fields have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. The FDA only evaluates drugs and foods, not supplements like this product. It's not intended to diagnose, prevent, treat, or cure any disease. Fields has me feeling my best every day, and it can help you too. Become a member today by going to feels.com slash filmcast, and you'll get 50% off your first order with free shipping. That's F-E-A-L-S dot com slash filmcast to become a member and get 50% automatically taken off your first order with free shipping. Feels.com slash filmcast. Let's talk about what we've been watching, guys. Uh, So (laughs) we have been watching... A few things this week. Uh, let's start, you know, Devendra, let's start with you. Let's actually go to you first. Sure. What have you watched this week? Uh, I checked out the first episode of Space Force, which is uh, the new, the other new Greg Daniels series coming this year because uh, he did upload on Amazon as well. And this one's created by, co-created by Greg Daniels and Steve Carell. It's about, uh, it's about the literal Space Force. It's about the Space Force Trump announced, uh, what, a couple years ago. And the genesis of the show is interesting because uh, I heard Steve Carell talking about it. It was like Netflix just came at him, basically. It was like, hey, does anybody have an idea for a Space Force show? I feel like you could do something with this. So it doesn't feel like a show that genuinely came out of like a creative spark. And I'm just, I'm feeling that. I've only seen the first episode, but it is, um, it's not funny. It's not good. And it's also weirdly expensive. Like it looks as expensive as like a big budget studio you know studio action movie in a way uh because they have huge sets there's like a big uh major set in the desert where they're like building this base for for rockets um has a great cast has, has great people like i love jimmy o yang he's probably the best uh person in the series um john malkovich is in it ben schwartz is in it fred willard is in the show in the first episode uh, i'm not sure if he's beyond it but man peace. he is Rest in peace. He was so great to see him uh, in this episode. But it is, it's just not funny. Like Steve Carell is playing uh, basically the general in charge of the Space Force. And he's putting on this like really gruff military voice, which is absolutely not working for me. Like within him saying a few lines, I was like, I cannot, I'm not going to sit through 10 episodes of this. <laughs> and uh, no, it's just that he is doing that. It is, it's not particularly well written. It's not really funny. There aren't any major gags um, I, I think that's probably how yeah. jeff and to some extent i felt uh when we saw the first few minutes of tom hardy and capone right? <laughs> sure. yeah. like what this is, is happening here oh boy it's not i'm not gonna be able to handle this for two hours <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> this is definitely his capone uh, yeah. but i'll say it's a little disappointing because um Upload was such a great big swing for Greg Daniels. Like that show was sci-fi and romance and like there was swearing and there was sex and there's like all this stuff that we'd never seen Greg Daniels do. And the Space Wars just feels like an expensive Netflix um, marquee series, right? They had a lot of money. They had a concept. And that's kind of it. There's no real, it doesn't feel like there's any heart or humor or much involved uh, in it. I will say it's not as bad as Avenue 5, which is um, the other space show that's on HBO uh, from Armando Inucci. And that show, I was more shocked by how such a brilliant guy could be behind something that's so dead. Space Force just feels, um, it's more watchable. But it's not it's not particularly like memorable or anything yet. Uh, I may give it a couple more episodes, but I uh, yeah, I'm not really excited about it. I do right, like dude. the idea of things that Trump proposes turning into television shows instead of policy. Yeah. That's, yeah. That's, yeah. that's 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 reassuring at least. That's Space Force. It's on Netflix, and Devendra was 
kind of disappointed in it. Devinder, what else have you watching? Kind of disappointed. Um, I also also uh, I blasted through Homecoming season two, which is a follow up to the uh, the excellent series. Um, this was a series based on a podcast from Gimlet Media, I believe. Um, and the first series, which aired in 2018, starred uh, Julia Roberts. Which was, first of all, it was great to see her in a show. It was really well written. Uh, it was directed by Sam Ismail, the creator of Mr. Robot, who I think is one of the best writers and directors working today. Like his camera work, his set pieces, it's also inventive. And he just did amazing work in Homecoming. First of all, I'd say both of you guys should check out Homecoming Season 1 because it's it's a great thriller. There's just so much going on there. Homecoming Season 2 stars um, Janelle Monet as um i'm trying to think about what i can say it stars janelle monet as a soldier as an ex-soldier who wakes up on a boat in the middle of a lake she has amnesia she has no idea how she got there and it's all about her trying to figure out what happened to her and in many ways it's a continuation of season one so i can't really say much because there's a lot of twists that go on there uh but the main stars of this show um of this season are janelle monet and hong chow who was in season one and you know she's made a name for herself in uh in things like watchmen like she's great at playing uh strong women in charge and really charismatic characters um I think seeing these two actors, um, I think they really work for me. The mystery is not as strong as season one. I don't think it's as uh, compelling, but there's it's watchable. And it's also like seven 30-minute episodes, so you can get through it really quickly. Like It's a nice binge watch. Uh, spend a couple days on it. Chris Cooper is also in it, and I love seeing him in things. Like I think he... I wouldn't say he's an underrated actor, but I think he can really add a lot to a series or a movie whenever he pops up. So I'm really digging it. I wish it was as good as season one. I kind of wish Sam Ismail directed it again, but he's busy with like all sorts of other stuff. So yeah, definitely check out season one. And if you're into it, season two is worth you know moving forward. That's Homecoming season two. It is on Prime Video. And uh, I agree. Season one. Uh, I haven't seen season two yet, but season one, pretty awesome. Uh, all right, that's what Devinder's been watching. I'll name a few things real quick. There's a new HBO series, or HBO Max series, I guess now, called I Know This Much Is True. I, I'd actually said we should consider uh, if, this as a possible slash filmcast review. Right, right? yeah. Um, but then we we decided to not do that because uh, it's we, I, we had originally thought it was a movie, or I had originally thought it was a movie, but it's actually a series. Um, but it is uh, written and directed by Derek C. in France, who uh, has made uh, Blue Valentine, which is a great yeah, movie. Known for very happy things, this guy. Play, Place Beyond the Pines, uh, yeah. which uh, had some really great uh, elements to it. Also, the uh, what was it the the lighthouse movie? The light. Be- did he do the light between oceans? Didn't he? Uh, I yeah, he I think that is that right. Yeah. Yes, that's and we correct. reviewed that. Yes. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. That's his happiest movie. That's his I happiest like that movie. movie by that's far. Good. Yeah, it's <laughs> yeah. a depressing movie, but that is it's a good so, movie. I, so I know this is much as true is based on a novel by Wally Lamb, which was published in 1998, and it follows the the parallel lives of identi- identical twin brothers, uh, Dominic and Thomas Birdsey. Uh, and Mark Ruffalo plays both brothers. And actually, he is amazing in this movie. And not only that, but the brothers look different like they they physically mm-hmm. like one has a beard and the other is shaved and you know i i think one has is uh heavier than the other one like so is, and it's just like logistically i don't know how they did it because you've seen in movies you you can have a double where the person looks identical right like that's right right we, we've mastered the technology for that quite a while ago but or they have like a fake mustache or something to yeah, differentiate yeah, yeah. them. but that's uh, it 
but in this movie, they they look physically quite different. And the the at no point when I was watching this movie did it occur to me that one actor is playing both those characters. You know, like that's how good the performance is. Um, so the the show has a lot to recommend it. Derek C. and France is super talented. Uh, obviously, Mark Ruffalo, that's like the performance you want to see. And there's also other uh, great uh, actors in this in the show as well that uh, probably uh, people listening to this podcast might be fans of. I'm thinking of people like Juliette Lewis, uh, Rob Hoible, uh Catherine Hahn, obviously a favorite one. Rosie O'Donnell nice. is in this show huh. in mm. a ro- role that actually is quite memorable, in my opinion. Melissa Leo, uh, Archie Punjabi. Uh, who was also in the oh. recent HBO original series Run? Oh, we did. We should have talked about Run, but yeah, no, I we, love no, we shouldn't have. No, we no, shouldn't I mean, have. Nindra. <laughs> in terms of a show that I think actually started out kind of strong, and whoa, buddy, whoa, <laughs> ran uh, off the rails, as it were. Yeah. I'll never yeah. understand why you kept watching that, Dave. I'll never understand. <laughs> You didn't because, like the first episode, and then you were like, yeah. oh, "I guess I'm in for this one." <laughs> it's it's like <laughs> I have it's no like, choice. It's like it's like my Ozark, Jeff, but less commitment because each episode was only thirty <laughs> minutes long. Dude, it, I, it was bite I, yeah. I will go to the mat and say you enjoy Ozark. You just aren't willing to admit it. <laughs> <laughs> I think I am willing to allow you to say that. Um, <laughs> so okay, so there's a lot of good characteristics about. I know this might just true, but here's the problem with the show. It is so brutally unrelenting in terms of the horrors that it visits upon the protagonist <laughs> uh, that it's it's actually almost to the point of self-parody it, or it has reached the point of self-parody. Um, the best way I can learn to, I, I can describe this is an analogy that people on one of my favorite podcasts, the Extra Hot Great podcast uh, used, which is, you remember going to a buffet when you were a kid? You know, Jeff, speaking of nostalgia, going mm. to like a restaurant buffet, uh, the first, maybe the, the first buffet you ever went to and how you'd go back to your table and like your plate was just a disaster. Like there was like, there was stuff in there that shouldn't have been next to each other. You know what I mean? <laughs> you had like mac and cheese next to ribeye steak next to um, like jello. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it would all just I don't be see on the, the problem shrimp here. cocktail on top of macaroni and cheese. I yeah, don't yeah. see the problem. And it's like, so what that, are you talking that about? That stuff doesn't yeah. go together. That, you shouldn't <laughs> put those things together. Um, th- this is Derek Sierra and France's misery buffet. Um, <laughs> he, he he had a whole menu of things that he cho- chose from, like things that were terrible. It's like, okay, um, let's throw in like. Um, child abuse with uh Oof. you know uh, a couple breaking up and sexual assault and um you know self mutilation and like wow. all he's just throwing just throwing all this shit onto this plate and being like <laughs> you know this is this is what I have to offer the world and uh it doesn't go well together and in fact it's so mismatched like it, it, it it's literally I'm tuning in every week to see what terrible things are going to happen to this guy. You know, <laughs> um, it, it's I'm like beginning to question your um, I don't know, Dave, your barometer for keeping like the shows you keep watching. I, I want to know what's driving you at this point. I mean, at this at this point, it's, it's, it's actually fascinating to see how this show is going to one up itself. In terms of like, I've, I'm I'm three episodes in. So many terrible things have happened to these people already. I think we um, I think we've we've well established the fact yeah. that Dave is a media masochist. He is <laughs> he just wants to put himself 
through the worst things. <laughs> and and I'm just like, I'm curious what else uh, this show, what else is going to happen? Like, because it's like sure. so many terrible, it's like, it's awful. It's awful. It's awful. <laughs> like you, you just, you would not believe just just when I'm like, oh, I, I my mind is literally like, I think I have a sense of the contours of how bad these people's lives are. And then you find out that like one of them had a kid die on them. You know, it's like, <laughs> okay, okay, like, wow, that just came out of nowhere because it's a flashback. So I'm like, I thought I knew where this was going. Then flashback, a kid died. Wow. You know, it sounds so- like a Lars von Trier dream project, by the way. <laughs> yeah. like, so amazing. So it's like, uh, now at this point, I'm just like, what? Uh, there's this kind of, yeah. perverse fascination with what the show is going to bring up next um <laughs> so and, and there is something you know as, as we are going to discuss later today with tampopo there is uh a kind of pleasure in knowing you are the best at something or watching someone become the best at something and mm-hmm. in this case i'm watching derek c and france become the best at misery porn <laughs> In the world Listen, right now, I I need to see him fight <laughs> Lars von Trier. Like I do, <laughs> that's where because he for me he is the reigning king of misery porn. So in terms of our uh, possibly having reviewed this, you know, Jeff Kanata, I'm just gonna say you dodged a bullet on this one. Yeah, it sounds like it. <laughs> I don't think I don't think you'd have cared for this very much. So okay, I am curious to see Ruffalo's performance. It sounds extraordinary. It's so, but... it's, it's 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 incredible. It's incredible. Yeah. He is really really good. Um, so I'd recommend it. But yeah, it's it's just it's just so so terrible. All the things it's just yeah okay. Well, I, I, check out the first couple episodes, Jeff. If you if I don't you, know, if you I don't know. <laughs> but I will say, I tweeted. I basically tweeted what I said just now, and several people said as a result of that tweet, they checked out the show and they actually enjoy it. So what are you doing? You're not. <laughs> J- There's people Davis, that are. He's cultivated a uh, a group of media masochists who. Yeah. Uh, for whom There's people Dave that are going to watch the wow. show because of what I said today. Dave is their champion. I had a chance to see the trip to Greece, which oh, I great. Uh, rented. Yeah, that sounds uh, like the opposite of everything we've been talking about. Well, you know, you'd be surprised. So the trip to Greece, uh, it it's it's basically another one of the trip movies, which is it's a lot of great food porn and a lot of. Uh, funny banter and great impressions between these two it's the last one too right it's theoretically the last one theoretically yeah. the last one um have you guys seen the other trip movies all of them yeah i've only Not seen all the first of them. one i think i missed the last one yeah i've yeah. only seen the first one. Oh yeah uh well the other ones are really similar mm-hmm. um and it's been 10 years now they've been doing these movies um but the the take-home message i get from this movie though is it's it's very fun you get to see a lot of food it's actually really bizarre to be watching it during the pandemic quarantine because it's like yeah. you're seeing people go to restaurants which is not something that we can easily do right now they're eating it's everything you want to be doing it's everything yeah. you, you want to do. be doing that you traveling. cannot be doing right now traveling yeah. eating at restaurants hanging out with friends in in small enclosed spaces yeah. um yeah and and so you will feel like nostalgia for a year ago uh, when you watch this, but oh, man. the thing that that really struck me is uh, in the trip one, I believe like the travel scenes are interspersed like with these moments of these guys like calling their loved ones at home, right? And at the right. end of the trip part one, they have to go back at home, go back home to their life, and like you know whatever it is, and that's ultimately what I think these movies are about. Uh, when you take them all in totality, it's you can run away from your problems. You can go sightseeing and eat amazing food 
and uh, do amazing things. But at the end of the day, you have to go back to your life, whatever the life is. Whatever you built for yourself, that's the thing that's going to stay with you. That's kind of the takeaway I have from these movies. Um, and yeah, the trip to Greece, it's a great fourth entry into the franchise. And I, I think it's going to be fun for those who try it out. But uh, Man, this is the like, fourth. I thought it was the third. No, Jeez. it's the fourth one. It's the fourth one. So crazy. And also, way, shout out to Michael Winterbottom, who I think doesn't really get enough credit as a director because this guy like does a lot of things. He's really prolific. I really liked uh, the wedding guest. I've talked about that. The Dev Patel movie. That's the Dev Patel movie I really enjoy, where he is kind of a badass um, fixer type guy, and he like Winterbottom just really interesting stuff. And if you guys remember Twenty Four Hour Party People, like that movie, that, that movie, movie still holds up. Love yeah. that movie. Yeah. I think one thing that's weird is the Trip uh, movies were actually originally TV series. Yeah. Right? There were multi-part TV series that were then cut together into a film length. And it's just weird. I don't think you can easily obtain the TV series version of them right now, um, hmm. which is kind of a bummer because I feel like there would be an audience for that. So uh, hopefully Seems one like day. there's had to have been a ton of stuff they cut out, right? Yes. Hours. Hours of content was cut out. So hopefully one day it'll be available. Anyway, uh, all right. So that's what I've been watching. I know this much is true of the trip to Greece. I also watched Love Birds, but we can talk about that later. Uh, Jeff Kanata, we got to talk about this thing that you've been watching that I have also been watching. It's called The Last Dance. Yes, this is the ESPN docuseries about the 90s Chicago Bulls and uh, Michael Jordan and Scottie Pippen and Dennis Rodman, that, that iconic team led by Phil Jackson, uh, that ostensibly the last dance, the title and the structure of the show is about their last run for a championship. But it's it's really not. It, it's, it's a compendium of that entire team. It's a compendium of all those people's lives. It's it talks about the you know drafting Jordan in the 80s. And I mean, it is a very thorough look at how these people grew up, the individual players, their, what made them who they are, and looking at how the media interpreted them during that time, the sort of behind-the-scenes machinations of putting that team together, breaking that team up, hiring, drafting, trading for different players. It's fascinating, and it is in-depth. I, I, I am enjoying this. I have enjoyed this series so much. It, it is such comfort food for me. Uh, I My wife will, will go to bed uh, some nights and I'll just stay up and watch um, another episode of The Last Dance. I, I've been re-watching parts of it. It is... Have you, fin- you finished it, by the way? I finished it. Yeah. I want to keep... I want there to be more of it. I've gone back. There's been a couple of t- nights where I've just watched sections of episodes that I've already seen. It is. Uh, l- listen, we already talked at length this episode about nostalgia and the, the, f- the function of age. Certainly, when these things were happening in real time, I was a, a very specific age uh, where the world, w- you know, was simpler for me. And as much as I was at that time and still am a Golden State Warriors fan growing up in the Bay Area, every human being that liked basketball at all and some people that didn't like basketball was kind of a fan of the Bulls. You know, just Michael Jordan was such a larger than life figure and so charming and so ubiquitous and pervasive in culture. 
you know, everything was the Bulls. Everything was Michael Jordan. And to be able to sort of revisit that time and remember, I mean, there are there are moments that they show in this in this series. Specifically, there's a, a moment in the 1991 uh, playoffs where they're playing the Lakers and um, Michael Jordan does this iconic, like, one of the, I for me, one of the most iconic moments in all of basketball history where he goes up and it looks like he's going to slam the ball and he pulls it back and he's underneath the hoop and he flips it for no reason. No one was stopping him <laughs> from dunking it. He just decides to make the shot way harder for himself. Uh, and I vividly remember being in my bedroom and watching that moment on my little 13-inch tube color TV by myself and like jumping up and down and literally... That moment, that one shot completely framed how I played basketball in my backyard, right? Every time I was on in my backyard by myself shooting hoops in, in the little basketball hoop that we had in my backyard, I would attempt to do that. I mean, I was never going to dunk the ball anyway, but that <laughs> thing where you're like in the air and you yeah. change positions, that's how I, that's how I wanted to be. That's how I thought basketball was. It's so interesting to me now how the game has changed and you have, you know, the, the, the Steph Curry ification of everything where it's this quick release, you know, long shot, you know, deep, deep three point shots, how people shoot the ball is different. And kids growing up today are, are playing that way. But for me, it was Michael Jordan hanging in the air and waiting until the last second to, to release a, a shot. And that's how I wanted to play basketball. And it is so fun to revisit that feeling and to see all this informa information that I never knew and all this footage that I've never seen. It, 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 this is the anti-news right now for me. And it, it, fe it feels so good to watch. I'm loving it, have loved it, continue to love it in revisiting episodes. Yeah, I finished this as well. Um, I watched this with my wife. This is like the favorite, my wife's favorite thing ever that she had ever watched, probably in history. Um, she couldn't get enough of it. Uh, she lived in Chicago during the Bulls run. So like she was, was really recalling all like the greatest hits. Um, I actually recorded a review with her uh, on YouTube. You can check that out on my YouTube channel. We talked about it for like 40 minutes. But uh, I found this to be hugely enjoyable. It's very popular too. It got like s over six million people watched it live, and like more um, watched it after the fact. I believe oh, it's going to be. Me, um, let me just say real quick: I, when yeah. we talked about this show yep. uh, a few weeks ago, I erroneously said that you can't, it's not streaming yeah. anywhere, and a lot of people corrected me. Thank you all of you for correcting me. Uh, I apologize for that for that error. At the time, I I had thought that that was the case, but I'm very glad that you can watch this on the ESPN app. Uh, and in addition, I believe it will be on Netflix as well. Uh, Wait, it's in, a Netflix production, right? It has a Netflix logo on it, but I guess they had a deal with it, ESPN to play yeah. it live first. It'll be, I think in July, it'll be on Netflix. So yeah. at, at that point, we're going to see a whole nother round of like conversation around this pop up when people have a chance to watch it again. Uh, I, uh, yeah, I, I have a lot of thoughts on this talk. Um, I'll just say a couple. One is that it's inherently fascinating to watch Michael Jordan talk about his craft because he's one of yeah. the best people. It's just inherently fat. You watching the best person in the world at something talk about yeah. how they do that something is just really interesting. The yeah. best person in the world at like glass blowing, you know, is like that's interesting to me. Um, but it's also you watch him 
and you go, what's the point of doing anything unless you want to be the Michael Jordan of doing that thing? Agreed. Agreed. And and, and he brings, he, there's, he has, he, he's a polarizing figure. He, he has a lot of like uh, pluses and minuses as a human, but uh, one thing you cannot deny is that he respects the game. He respects the craft. And uh, something that I really that really struck me was like when he didn't do a good job, he took it personally upon himself because he's like the people who um, give hours of their time to like buy a ticket and watch a game or watch on television, like he's letting those people down, right? And yeah. like the it's idea that, that like yeah, yeah like he's like I, I, he wants to be the best, but he also like wants to honor the game and people's engagement with the game. I really yeah. appreciate it, but. The biggest joy of watching this, The Last Dance, honestly, is highlight reels of Michael Jordan. I mean, yeah. he is just the physical form is so beautiful, balletic, you know, in terms of yeah. how um, he like he could do everything. He could shoot threes. He could dunk. He could do layups. You know, everything. The way he did it was just so beautiful. And like his just literally his like because he's so kind of skinny right like his his very slender like just watching a person have that mastery uh is inspiring you know it just yeah. is like it's it's no wonder why the entire world fell in love with him because it's just it's just incredible to see him on the court and that was and, one of like yeah yeah i agree 100% with all of that but but also it's an extraordinary thing to look at this team where you had what is almost undeniably the best player to ever play the game is certainly one of the certainly the best player at that time to play the game you also have the second best player at that time to play the game on that team and you probably have the best rebounder of all time yeah. on that team you know and you see all of them do their thing you know, you just w watching, seeing Dennis Rodman describe how he approaches a rebound and then watching highlights of him, like tapping the ball four or five times to himself to get a rebound over another yeah. extraordinarily tall human being. It, all of that, like the, the, you know, we talk about food porn, you know, this is like skill porn. You know, <laughs> it, it is watching this very high level of commitment, drive, accomplishment, and skill in action and it is mesmerizing to watch yeah i will say the the biggest visual that stuck out to me uh this like i guess this is a spoiler for episode nine of the of the show so if you don't know what happened in real life and you don't want to be spoiled then skip forward for a minute or two but like the thing that really stuck with me is when he was in uh is the pizza game right so there's yeah the the documentary makes the assertion that he was it implies that he was intentionally poisoned <laughs> right. uh, with with a pizza while playing. I think it was against the Utah Jazz, right? He, and, I, yes, I think so. Um, and, yeah, that and, was their big but, rival at the time. Yeah, but, which, yeah. by the way, uh, the the uh, person who who literally made that pizza has come out after the documentary has has been released and said. That's garbage. I was a huge Bulls fan, and I actually made the pizza personally because I didn't want someone else to poison the pizza. <laughs> so that the, the the pizza guy has come out and defended himself. Um, but yes, it was uh, he essentially ate this pizza, and, <laughs> and he got food poisoning and was terribly sick. He had like the flu during this game with the Utah Jazz, and he performed incredibly. 
Yeah. And uh, I'll never forget watching that too. And I, I, in real time, I never forget watching that when he, you know, how he would sit there with the towel over his head on the sidelines. Yeah. Hey, man. Yeah. Go ahead. And Sorry. and there's this image of him slumping over into uh, like Scotty Pippen's arms after the game is over. That's like an iconic visual. And uh, it's just inc- incredible to see. Basically, this person was willing to like give everything he had up up to and including potentially like his life to for the, for love of the game. Yeah, um, it's incredible. Uh, another it's thing incredible. I love is all of the stuff th- when he was young and you know coming out of North Carolina and interviews with people then and now with where especially then where you didn't have the benefit of hindsight where he became you know, arguably the greatest player of all time. But at the time you have people like Bobby Knight going, this is the greatest player I've ever seen. You know, like th- at that time at the, when he's, yeah. he hasn't accomplished anything in the NBA and you go, how extraordinary is it for people to recognize that at the time? I mean, I remember the same thing with LeBron James where people in high school were like, this guy is going to change basketball and you they knew it then you know and it's it's so cool to see that and like we've been talking about it's it's an inspiring thing to go man there kind of isn't anything worth doing in the world unless you put yourself in it a hundred percent like this like the the act of commitment to a thing is in itself objectively beautiful it is this excellence this striving for excellence that i found so inspiring from the show well, that is The Last Dance, uh, hugely enjoyable, uh, and you can find it right now on ESPN or stream, you know, streaming on the ESPN app, and it'll be on Netflix soon. Divindra. And that's why, that's oh. why we are the Chicago Bulls of podcasting, fo- fellas, you know? <laughs> <laughs> right? Yes. Yeah. Um, I'll take it. We're the Chicago Bulls <laughs> in the early 80s <laughs> <of> podcasting. <laughs> mm. Um yeah uh we which, are by the way a, we, for, no we are a chicago bulls of podcasting <laughs> we are we are a chicago bulls of podcasting <laughs> um anyway <laughs> Devendra, uh so you know I, i'm not like that into basketball but i still really yeah. enjoy this is, is any of what we're saying like appealing to you at all I mean, most definitely. Like, I am looking forward to watching the series, especially once it hits Netflix or is more broadly accessible. Yeah, I don't. Yeah, I don't have any, you know, revere for Jordan. Mm-hmm. I didn't really watch basketball or anything, but I think the story of it and what you guys are talking about will really. It also kind of sets us up for Tom Popo, which I think yeah. explores yeah, yeah. many, many Indeed. similar themes. Yeah. Um, and uh, I, I'm excited for you to check it out, and I think it's I think it's enjoyable, even if you have even a vague interest in excellence in sports i think you'll you'll like it all right that's the last dance jeff anything else you've been watching yeah a couple of things uh sticking on that same theme of nostalgia and and watching watching things that bring me back to an older time i think it was actually an outgrowth of watching the last dance and just kind of loving curling up inside that feeling and and hiding from the harshness of the world right now and needing a a thing to unwind at the end of the night um after you know looking at twitter and and searing my soul from each subsequent news update um i enjoyed relaxing and watching an an episode of the last dance or two at the end of the night and so i was kind of searching for that feeling and i had 
I had this recollection of being a certain age and watching Nick at night. And as a kid, oh, yeah. watching yeah. Nick at night, I mean, there's been different eras of Nick at night, right? And I'm sure my era of Nick at night is probably a little earlier than yours if you guys watch Nick at night as well. But my era of Nick at night was very much, I would watch Mr. Ed and uh, the Adams Family and Car 54, Where Are You? And Lancelot Link, Secret Chimp. And all these wacky shows from the 50s and 60s. And it it made me feel good as a kid. I loved watch Ozzy and Harriet and Leave it to Beaver. And those those were the shows on Nick at Night for me. And it was like this view into my parents' childhood. And it, I don't know, it, it, it conjured something in me as a kid. And I... I saw someone tweet something about the fact that the Dick Van Dyke show is on Hulu. And I've never really watched the Dick Van Dyke show, only very peripherally. I know of it. I know it, it was lauded at the time. And, and yeah. you know, I know of it. I know Mary Tyler, Mary Tyler Moore. And, and, you know, everybody knows, I, I think, of a certain age, everybody knows that iconic intro where he walks and falls over the couch and does the flip and all that stuff. But I went, yeah, I want to watch the Dick Van Dyke show. And I started watching episodes of the Dick Van Dyke show at night. And it, it is, it's like chicken soup for the soul. It is, I found it to be, yes, there are very outdated gender norms. Yes, there are lots of things that, in the show, that, that are antiquated in, in a lot of ways. But also, it's A, very charming. You understand why Dick Van Dyke and Mary Tyler Moore were mega stars. They are radiant talents. Uh, but also, as someone who is married and is going through the quarantine with my wife, and ha it has been feeling like a pressure cooker sometimes and has amplified issues that we have and, and just bumping into each other and not being able to get away and have time to ourselves and all those things. And your marriage is tested in, in new ways and this kind of thing. It was so reassuring to me to watch this show that was shot in the, what, late 50s and go, it was ever thus. It was ever <laughs> thus. Like the jokes and the marital issues are the same, the same. And yes, it's goofy and they're, they're make, you know, it's got a laugh track and it's, it's, it feels antiquated in a lot of ways. And some of the jo jokes are cornier than you would see now. But the fundamental issues that they're talking about are husbands and wives mm -hmm. and kids yeah. and how you deal with those things. And it's like, oh, it's the people have been dealing with this forever. This is the same stuff. And it kind of just felt it feels good it feels good it feels good i kind of i like rewatching i love lucy episodes for that same yeah. reason too which is such a great similar you you get marital issues and kid issues but also like great physical comedy too yeah. so this stuff still holds up it's kind of great it's amazing i mean i especially watching i had no idea that the first the pilot episode of the dick van dyke show wasn't called the dick van dyke show mm -hmm. it didn't have dick van dyke or mary tyler moore in it it starred carl reiner uh, it was called uh, Head of the Family. It was the first episode. <laughs> Carl Reiner created the show and uh, ran the show, was a head writer of the show. 
and he starred in the, the pilot and then went, nah, I'm going to cast somebody else. They cast Dick yeah. Van Dyke and then re- rename it the Dick Van Dyke Show. What a, what like, a killer move. What yeah. a selfless, amazing thing to do by Carl Ryan. I just, I'm shocked by that. And it's so interesting to see him walk through the door in that pilot episode. And you go, wait, I thought I was watching the Dick Van Dyke Show. Uh, and then the, sec- the second episode, which is really sort of the first episode uh, where Dick Van Dyke is in it, the whole like second half of the show is just this variety show that Dick Van Dyke and the two other actors who are very famous and whose names escape me at the moment uh, do like at a dinner party. But it's 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 extraordinary. It's all done in one take. And it's clearly this like bit that they've done that they just went, hey, let's put it in the show. It's really entertaining. You just don't see television like that anymore. It is it's. I don't know. I, I found it very comforting and my wife was giggling at me as she would walk in the room and I'd be watching the Dick Van Dyke show like this black and white <laughs> four by three show on my, you know, my big 4K television. It's just it's just what I needed right now. Yeah. Talk about nostalgia, by the way. Like I love older sitcoms too. like uh, Frasier is a series. I my wife and I, we probably watched watched it dozens of times. Mm-hmm. Like it's a it's a perfect series. Kelsey Grammer, like there's a reason he was winning so many Emmys for that show. Like that it's so well constructed. So I love the comfort of a classic yeah, sitcom. Totally. I kind of miss that, honestly. Yeah. Oh well that is the Dick Van Dyke show. And Jeff, can you remind us how you accessed it again? It's on Hulu. Yeah, it's on, on Hulu. Hulu. Yeah. All right. And anything else you want to mention? One last thing, uh, and I love this show so very much. It's called The Great. It's also on Hulu. It's a Hulu original. This is not an older show. This is a brand new show, uh, and it lives up to its title, in my opinion. It is absolutely great. Uh, It is a a period show. Clearly spent a lot of money on this one. Uh, The money is on the screen on The Great uh, beautiful costumes, incredible sets. The idea is that is the show is about uh, Catherine the Great before she became Catherine the Great. She it marries, gets married off to Peter, the Emperor of Russia, and uh, attempts to come in and uh, move Russia into a more progressive mindset. And is met with this oaf, this boor, <laughs> this this man. Uh, and what I love about this show is that it 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 cares not to to be anachronistic. It it sure. allows. Well, it's from the writer of the favorite, so right. it's like it's that. Mm. It's it definitely that. that men- yes, that yeah. that sensibility. It has it has modern sensibilities layered on this period time. So it it is definitely l- looking at this through the prism of twenty twenty sensibility and ideas and it's amazing it's it's basically about what every woman has to deal with in dealing with Mm -hmm. dumb dudes and it's it's so great uh it's l fanning plays Catherine. her best performance by far i think she's she's fine in other things but Mm -hmm. this is i think a just a magnificent breakout performance for her she is stunning and great in it and Nicholas Holt, who plays Peter, is fantastic. He's like so, so he's so deliciously evil. Yes, and same in the favorite too. But yeah, he that's is his good new thing. This. I watched him in the yeah. history of the Kelly Gang, uh, True History of yeah. Kelly Gang, and he's like he he's basically become like a professional asshole these days. You know, which, and so good at it. He says he's so these good. vile <laughs> things constantly, and he says them with just charm and sort of a lack of aware self awareness that is that makes them palatable. Like he says. Mm-hmm. 
terrible things. <laughs> but uh, man, I love this show. There are so many quotable moments. There's so much brilliant stuff that happens. It's so smart. Uh, every single character, and very few shows do this, every single character over the course of the season of The Great changes, has an arc. And not just our, not just the leads, every character in the show has an arc. And that is really, really cool and interesting to see. Uh, you know, it certainly is talking about 2020 and the world now, but doing it through the prism of this period piece in the 18th century, it, it's, man, I could not recommend The Great Hire. I absolutely love it. All right, yeah. man, and well. I'm definitely gonna check it it's out. Really, it's really, it's really good. Uh, I've seen the first episode, by the way. I just want to say, like, the you may or may not know the Catherine the Great story, and I think, like, just like the the outline of what happens with her and her life, she is a really interesting character. Like, that's what's really driving me to watch the series because it is kind of crazy what her what goes through in her life. So I am looking forward to seeing like where the show goes because there's a lot of stuff to cover. Did yeah, you finish it, I am. Yeah, it's it's extraordinary. It, it's so good. And it goes to such interesting places. It it shocked me a couple of times. It you know, it it's very raunchy. Um, so be aware of that. But it but I found it to be I mean, I'm recommending it to my parents like it's it's really smart. It's so the dialogue is is whip smart. I mean, if you if you liked the favorite. You will love this. It, it is, it is. I think, better than The Favorite, in my opinion. Oh, wow. Okay. Yeah. All right. Well, yep. that's the great... It's on Hulu. Favorite was like my second favorite movie of that year. So yeah. uh, I'm looking forward to checking it out then. After that recommendation, you've you've got me on the great train. Jeff. I can't wait to hear what you think of it. I think yep. you're going to love it. Yeah. All right. That's what we've been watching this week. Let's move on. Before we get to uh, well, uh, our main review this week of Tampopo, we got to thank all the people that donated to the podcast. Thanks to Sightwise, Ethan Lutsky. Kristen Turnack, Heather Forster, Jordan Crete, Luke G. Paradise, Ben Cowburn, Philip Moniz, uh, Philip Moniz, Scott Ebert, and Brian Williamson. Thanks so much for your donations. Thanks so much to Vinay from New York City who writes in, Hello, thanks for the years of company and content as you guys have been a constant in my life for some time now, which is something I definitely appreciate more nowadays. I love the podcast, but probably not as much as my dog, who appreciates that we take much longer walks when the newest episode comes out each week. <laughs> That comes in from Vinay. Jeff, you still going on your walks? Uh, runs, yeah, runs. runs. Yeah, I, I, uh, I'm still going on my runs and doing bike rides with the with the kids. Um, yeah, I'm. I, I've been thinking about uh, getting a bike. Actually, given that you know we're we're not really uh, driving to many places these days. Yeah, uh, this is the thing that happened. I, I had just moved into this house with my then girlfriend, now wife. And she's like, hey, I'm going to pop out and go run an errand. She left the garage door open for two hours. When she got back, my bike was gone. <laughs> um, someone had just walked in. Someone just walked in, taking the bike, and we have yet to replace it. So I need to, I need to buy a, a, a bike or an e-bike. Um, you know, you know, Dave. One of my first memories of you of being your friend <laughs> yes. is your bike. There's a saga of Dave's bike being stolen in college, and it uh, it goes places. Well, That's basically, a long story. The bike thief. <laughs> so, so essentially, um, yeah, I remember. Okay, so one time my bike at college got stolen, and then somebody had taken it on a drunken joyride and left it <laughs> smashed uh, on like uh, in the center of like the quad somewhere. As you do, as yeah. you do. Um, 
the, the problem is that I would buy these bikes from these secondhand stores that were like $10. And then the bike was so cheap and crappy that I would feel like I didn't want to spend the money to secure it properly. And then what people do you think would just they steal got the it. bike, Dave? Right. What do you think yeah. they got it? They got it from stealing it from people. <laughs> <laughs> um, Jeff in Kirkland, Washington writes, Hey gang, first time, uh, long time listener, first time donator. I'm hoping you can adjudicate my movie-related dilemma. I've been a regular listener for five-plus years, but I've never seen a photo or video of any of you. Like every podcast I listen to, I prefer the voices to be faceless. Voices from the void, if you will. If I've seen a face, I can't help but visualize an odd talking head in the style of Max Headroom. I find it distracting and sometimes unsettling, so I intentionally abstain from any image of a voice's face. Normally, maintaining an unsullied podcast experience isn't an issue. But it's been more than five years of avoiding your faces, and I'm growing more and more weary and anxious with each passing year. <laughs> I must, Our faces are everywhere, Dave. I everywhere. Must say, I must say, it's affecting my life. I can't follow any of you on social media. I can't watch the dungeon run. And saddest of all, I can't participate in the Summer Movie Wager website for fear of encountering a rogue profile pic. Thank goodness it's canceled this year. <laughs> so goodness. what should I do? Should I end my streak or keep pressing on no matter what the cost? If it's finally time, which I think it is, how should I do it, and will it be worth it? Thank you. Uh, this is oh, wow. wonderful. You, you know what's funny? He's in Kirkland, Washington, Dave. He could have run into you at some point. <laughs> he might have already and seen just never know it. He might have already until seen he heard you speak. Yeah, yeah, and not not even knew it. So, yep. Uh, wait, um, first of all, this is the worth... closest thing to like an unsullied, you know, slash. Film this is court. insane. Yeah. this is insanity. <laughs> it's kind but, of. It's kind yeah. of. Ra- I kind of love this, by the way. <laughs> this is you. You did this, Jeff. I, I feel like this, this is what I brought. The spark of this idea comes from Jeff. Uh, but now this person, this person can't watch the dungeon run, which I, I think I love watching the videos. This is, and you're going to miss out on that. Thank you. Come on. This is this is my ultimate uh, my ultimate. Hoisted karmic. by your own petard. <laughs> yeah, yes. No, not the dungeon run. No. Um, uh, yes. Yeah, so for that alone, I think that Jeff should should see our faces. But here's here's what I think needs to happen. Jeff needs to sit down and describe us in as in as specific detail as possible of what he imagines we look like. Sketch us like a police artist. <laughs> yes, yes. Hire a <laughs> police sketch artist too, and then send that to us before you see our faces. Because uh, I I relate to this. I'm I'm sure lots of people have that experience of of w- listening to people on the radio or podcasts, sure, and then yeah. eventually seeing their faces and going, whoa. Yeah, that's not what I expected, uh, and being so certain of it, being so yeah, I, yeah. like there's a um, um, NFL podcast that I listened to uh, during the season where I I would have put a large amount of money on the fact that I could tell you what those dudes looked like because I was just right. so certain, and yeah. then I saw them and I couldn't have been more wrong. Th- right. This is a Wayne's World sketch, like this happens in Wayne's World. You know that is it's a key joke. I love it. I love it. Yeah. I, I also uh, I've also had the experience of. Um, of uh, the, what he's talking about about like having the the talking head in your mind, I do that when I when I read books. It, invariably, if I have the if I have the the book that has the author's picture on the back, you know, and I look at that picture when I'm reading the book, I constantly see that person talking to me as I read the book in my head. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that by the way makes Stephen King books better because he always has like a great rad picture with the the skull cane, and it's, it's like yeah. Tell me a story, crazy old man. <laughs> okay, I don't think we've really come up with a good answer uh, for Jeff yet. 
Yes, we have. He's got to describe us before he sees us and yes. then see us and then tell us. And then do it. Yes. First of all, we need or to, photo. We actually yeah. have artists who are in the audience, right? Like who are listeners. So I'll just say this. If you are willing to be a sketch artist for Jeff, <laughs> uh, this listener of ours from Kirkland, let us know at slash gmail.com, okay? Or he could just describe or us in as much it. detail. Yeah, like, that's yeah. fine, too. That's fine, too. But, like, it would be so cool if we actually got him to make a, a sketch. You know what I mean? <laughs> um, so gonna, if, you are an artist, like, yeah. if you are an artist who's willing to engage in this ridiculous exercise, uh, let us know. It's crazy. I, I will say, Jeff and Kirkland, you are actively harming our careers. I make videos for a living. Jeff makes videos for a living. You should probably watch us because it keeps us paid. That's Thank true. you, sir. Five years we've been doing videos and he's been listening to us. Oh, that's so funny. Um, so, also, the, the, the answer to this question, Jeffrey Kanata, is if he's going to look at our faces, what is the best way in which to consume those faces? Like, what is the best way to clearly this face. Periscope? Clearly, us reading this entire email on Periscope. I know we're literally. I'm having yeah, that experience right now, us. Jeff from Kirkland. I'm I'm for the first time in years. I'm looking at the faces of my co-hosts. Yeah, um, I, I don't know if I'm going to keep this Periscope live. So let's just say you can you can rip that part of the video, right? Yeah. And then, uh, yes. And save it. Separately. That I can do. You yeah. know what? Great idea, Demandra. Yes. I'm gonna I'm gonna. So we're gonna try. So here's what we're gonna do. Here's the order of operations. We're going to try to get an artist to draw us based on Jeff's <laughs> recollections, uh, free associations. We're going to have, that, like, Dave has antlers. Uh, <laughs> if that doesn't work, then we're just going to get Jeff to just describe us. And then I will send him a copy of this video of us describing, uh, you know, uh, of us reading the email and then talking about it. So I feel bad because I wasn't paying attention to the camera at any point during that at all. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> Okay, Fine. and also make Jeff and Kirkland uh, film a reaction video of him doing it. <laughs> yeah, then we will watch that video and comment on his video of watching us. Yeah, on <laughs> I know, I'm, yeah. I'm giddy right now, but I'm also terrified of what a, how I'll be described. That's a great idea. We got to have him film himself while he opens his video. So. Yes, yes. Okay. Um. So thanks to everyone who donated. If you want to support this podcast, go to PayPal.me/slash/filmcast. That's paypal.me slash filmcast. But let me put this out there, uh, which is there is a lot of need in the world right now. And so if you can contribute to other causes that are important right now, please do that first. I'm just going to put that out there. Do that there first. are plenty in Minneapolis, by the way. The Brooklyn Bail Fund, the Brooklyn is Bail Fund, I the Minneapolis Freedom There's Fund. There's so many things. If yeah. you want to support those causes, do that first. Then, if you have leftover cash, Feel free to come throw it our way. Change but, in the couch. But you know. uh, never donate if it in any way causes you any hardship at all. If you want to support this podcast for free, just go to um, Apple Podcasts, leave a star rating or review for us. We'd really appreciate it. All right. Let's move on. Let's get to our review of Tempopo. つまり、チェーンのラーメン版。それがタンポポだ。なんだなんだ、もてもてせ。いじまで何でもやるぞ。ずらり製造員が色とりどりの男、男、男。
わふたを開けると美味しそうな男と女がぎっしり詰まっている幕の内弁当みたいなそれがタンポポだ That was from the trailer for Tampopo, the Juzo Itami movie from 1985.、Uh, I watched it on、uh, HBO Max just to try HBO Max out, but I also have the Criterion disc. You can also rent、yeah. or buy this movie on digital. Wait, you, Wait, still, you still, still have your Criterion, criterion disc, Dave? <laughs> What? <laughs> Wow, you got, we did not、wow. plan that reaction, by the way. <laughs> the、um, whole setup was, well, I finally get an opportunity to open my Criterion disc. <laughs> yeah, well, and you were, like, you were like, nah, I don't want to go downstairs and like, tear open the plastic wrapping. Let it be. <laughs> Because I, spent, like, I was trying out HBO Max this week. I'm like, oh, let's give, it, let's give this a shot, see how that works. Well, you know,、so、this、funny. is a marquee title for HBO Max.、Uh, I'm sure Warner Media put this on the poster, expected tons of people to subscribe just for <laughs> as you should. I, I wanted to experience this movie like how I thought the majority of people listening to this episode would experience the movie. Okay? You're a monster. So, so sue me. <laughs> so many great special sue features. Sue me. Okay? Wow.、Um, here's a plot summary from the movie A truck driver stops at a small family run noodle shop and decides to help its fledgling business. The story is intertwined with various vignettes about the relationship of love and food. Devendra Hardwar, this is a movie、yes. that you suggested for us to review、yes. today. You had seen it before. Jeff Kanata and I had not. Why did you want us to review this movie? I, I've seen it before. Yeah. This movie, this movie runs through my veins. I've seen this movie <laughs> dozens of times. I, I feel like this movie affects my worldview in so many ways. It's a top five movie for me. I love it completely.、Whoa. So I will say this up front. I don't know what you guys think of it. If, if it wasn't fully your cup of tea, that's fine. But I will right now just gush because I think this is it's one of the greatest movies ever made. It, it has everything. It has love. It has death. It has romance. It has, like, it has comedy. It explores human nature and the human condition and the pursuit of not quite perfection, but the pursuit of craft and honing your craft and the, you know, what drives people to do that and how you can even relate to people by doing that and how we, you know, how we all communicate as humans. Like, it's so hopeful. And liberating. It's a movie about you know, celebrating amateurs, but also about celebrating the love of something and the knowledge of something. And like, honestly, like geekery, like having that, that bit of like inside knowledge of how things work, how,、uh, how culture works. I find it also fascinating. And yeah, this movie is made up of several vignettes.、Um, the main one is the ramen story, which is it's Shane. It's Shane in modern day Tokyo with a ramen shop, basically, and I love it completely.、Um, it, it, it has everything. Like, it, this movie has random scenes spread throughout, and they're all kind of connected in some way. But the more I watch it, and every time I watch it, I just kind of get something new out of it. Some of them seem completely random, and I don't want to spoil too many of them here because I think the, the, the payoff for many of them are. Genuinely great and surprising, but they all, in their own way, explore how people love things and how people admire things and the you know the dedication to that. You know,、um, there's a great sense of unpretentiousness to this movie where there, I wouldn't say there's a right way to enjoy something, but oftentimes there's gatekeeping. There's people who say, oh, to enjoy spaghetti, you got to eat it this way because this is the proper way to eat it, yada, yada, yada.、Um, maybe that's not always right. And I love every, yeah, this movie has like the counterpoint to that scene. One of the early scenes is while,、um, you know, the two truckers are, are driving to the ramen shop after an amazing opening scene, by the way. Like my, 
if you've been to Nalma Draft House recently, um, before in the before times, you've probably seen the opening of the gangster dude, you know, with his full feast, uh, telling people to shut up and not talk during movies because it's perfect, yeah, th- like talking th- right at the audience. This movie opens with a a badass Asian gangster walking into yeah. a movie theater, having a feast set before him. Sit, sits in the front. Sit row, in the front row. You know. sit, have a feast yeah. of food set before him. Uh, before he almost chokes a man to death for making noise during the movie, which don't I'm just crinkle, don't crinkle the chip bag. Which I'm just like, <laughs> How hard I'm is just that? like, this is already one of the best movies I've ever seen in my life. Like in the first five <laughs> minutes, I'm already like, you've already oh, yeah. got me, you've already got me. But when it one of the opening <laughs> scenes I think is so memorable, it is one of the truckers uh, played by a young Ken Watanabe, by the way. Um, but one of the truckers describing the story of an uh, you know a ramen expert, a uh, ramen elder. Uh, T- teaching somebody how to love it and appreciate it and it's not about that's how he became Ra's saying, al Ghul by the way that's, that's... <laughs> yeah, this, this clearly it it's what it what brings him back yeah. all, all the time but it's not about like this is the proper way to do it no the entire scene that entire scene is about how to appreciate what you're experiencing yeah. it is about loving the ramen it's about understanding when to sip the broth when to eat the noodles how to how to approach the pork and lovingly tap it like there's so many fuck different things the ramen first before you, you fuck eat the it. ramen <laughs> but it is so many things so many things in life you guys are talking about like you guys went on about the last dance and everything um you know jordan did his appreciation of the craft and how he brought that like it, this is it this is it in this movie and by the way Juzo Itami made a movie called The Last Dance in the mid-90s. So it all kind of connects, even though it's about something completely different. But yeah, I will not be objective about this movie. I love it completely. I can't wait to dive into some of the themes and thoughts because um, I think everyone should see this movie. I showed this movie to a group of friends last year. It was like one of the last like big screenings I was able to have in my room or in my living room. And I put it up in the projector and we had like 15, 20 people in the room. And I've never presented something in a showing like that and had it just like hit like gangbusters, like watching this movie with a crowd. It is so it is enthralling. It's such a great experience. So, yeah, I love it completely. Please watch this movie and definitely do that before we get into spoilers. I'll just say one other thing about ramen, you know, uh, it, what's great about ramen is, I mean, the director has talked about how uh, this movie could be seen as a metaphor for filmmaking as well, you know? Yeah. Oh, um, it's explicit in the movie. Yeah. I mean, it talks about yeah. film, I mean, call, calling themselves the director. The directors, all right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but one of the things about ramen uh, that I think also mirrors films is that, uh, it's it's a ramen is a food for the masses, but if mm-hmm. done exceptionally well, it can be uh, an art, right? It can yes. be an art form. The craft of it can be appreciated in many ways. Yeah, this actually reminds me of like, did you guys see the Shane Carruth interview um, in IndieWire this week? That was yes. like that went around, mm-hmm. right? And um, uh, the question that was asked to Shane Carruth was, uh, what was the turn? So. Shane Carruth directed Upstream Color and Primer, which are very uh, well-regarded movies, small indie films. And uh, the question was asked to him, like, what was the turning point when you decided you were done with filmmaking? And here was his answer. He says, I'd have to talk for two hours. You'd be bored and so would everyone else. I'm not in the same business as Hollywood. This is not arts and literature in early Greece. This town is what everyone says it is. We hire models to say words uh, they don't even understand. And then we light them well. Uh, and, and only one percent of that is worth watching. 
<laughs> the confusion is we get to go to the same building to watch a fucking Garfield cartoon and Phantom Thread. Uh, as if those two are the same things. When I go to a vending machine, there's a Snickers bar and a bag of Chex Mix. Those are the same things. Uh, one is savory and one is sugary, but there's still food I can put in my mouth. We go to the theater and act like they're all the same thing, and they're just not. One is meant to be there so you can make out with your date on a Friday night, and the other one is there so you can be edified for the next 30 years. We just pretend they're the same. So good. So yeah. good. So, uh, but that's kind of the, the, the truth about ramen too. You can make like ramen, like ramen for many people, their first exposure to ramen was in like a college dorm room when they bought like, mm -hmm. you know, 10 packs of Ramachan, yeah. you know, ramen, which by the way is like garbage ramen from, uh, yeah. from the store, you know, like this is, by the way, and when just, this movie came out, it, this movie was released in America in the eighties, Roger yeah. Ebert reviewed it. And like, he approaches like, Oh man, look at this crazy thing. Nobody's gonna know what this is about. All this weird foreign food, and he he gave this movie four stars. He didn't knock it, but like he was describing it as like this being a purely Japanese movie, and not even trying to like be accessible to Westerners in a way, even though it is straight up a Western and copying Western tropes. And I love all that about it. Yeah, that Karuth yeah. quote though, I loved it. But it just even the, uh, taking a second to really dig deep, it's it's not really that insightful, right? Because that's you say you can say that about all art, right? The same book jacket that can give you uh, a, a profound experience literarily can also give you, you know, uh, green eggs and ham or or the the most banal, you know, poorly written book you could imagine. It, it the same the same instrument that can give you uh, Chopin can give you, right. you know, plinking random notes it's it's but, not particularly insightful to say that mm -hmm. you know the these things are set next to each other and given an equal playing field but their the level of skill intention and artistry can vary wildly I think the thing about movies is that it's a it is an industry, right? It is for books. It's more like it's one person and their editor and maybe you know a couple of readers kind of working on a project or or a musical thing whereas yeah yeah to get uh, an original movie out to get an idea out you have to go through the studio and your producers yeah. and you, maybe you're collaborating with a writer like it's a big big it's, thing it's more of an indictment the, the article and his yeah. interview is more of an indictment of the studio system than anything else yeah you know mm -hmm. um it's uh, fascinating that, but yeah. that being said jeff canada mm -hmm. i am so curious what you thought of tempopo well dave <laughs> i guess you could say my thoughts about tempopo are best summed up in the form of a limerick Excellent. <laughs> a charming movie with food and folks and fun, though there's not really jokes. It's also disturbing with far too much slurping and that scene <laughs> where they share an egg yolk. Nice. Yes. Or, or to put it another way, I can, if you consider yourself a foodie, you'll likely enjoy this movie. But there's... A bit too much in it, you could trim 30 minutes, like the egg scene, which I'll never unsee. <laughs> How dare you? How dare you, Jeff? The, here's, I mean, I think the egg scene is one of the least disturbing things about this movie, to be honest with you. Yeah, <laughs> I but, found but it there, very disturbing. There are animals getting killed in this yeah, movie. Yeah, there's animals getting which slaughtered Which we can on talk screen, about that. Yeah. But yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean. All right, Jeff, yeah. your, your thoughts on Tempopo. <laughs> Uh, I, I found it very charming. I liked it. I liked it for a lot of the reasons that Devendra has enumerated, mostly that joy of doing something, doing something well. Uh, it, it's got very, very charming performances. Uh, I did 
I did think this this movie feels like a a director who is just full of ideas and wants to cram them all in, even though yep. they all mm-hmm. don't need to be in the same work. Mm. Right. It, you don't we don't need to have all of this in this same movie. It could, you could it could be more focused and I think it would make for a better experience for me. Yeah. Um, but I, you know, as someone who has fallen deeply in love with ramen in the last decade, uh, it's a joy to see it, it brought to this heightened state and it, it made into fine art. And it occurs to me that, you know, you bring up Da Vinci, you bring up this Ebert review. And I would imagine when this movie came out, most Americans hadn't had ramen like this. You had maybe not real you know, ramen. They only had the like, yeah, yeah college packets. Cup, cup of ramen, a cup of noodles yeah, or whatever. Cup of noodles, uh, yeah. And I didn't have really good ramen until, you know, like I said, maybe a, d- a decade ago, maybe a little more. Um, and now here in Los Angeles, there's ramen places all over the place. And, oh, yeah. and it is a big deal. And I love them. But it's so interesting that there was already this idea about great ramen. And we just ha- we just didn't have it here. I just didn't have it. I didn't experience it in my life. And it, I found that fascinating. Um, it You know, it I like this this character of this sort of badass cowboy goro this this you know badass cowboy type and literally every time he talks big he can't back it up you know <laughs> every time he's like yeah i'm gonna kick the shit out of these guys and then he, he gets the shit kicked out of him and it, it it's a movie that doesn't take itself too seriously but i did find that a lot of the sketches which really feel like sketches to me it, the yeah. movie will like have these interludes where we'll just stop the story and we'll do a, a like a sketch about food and several of those to me didn't really land well i don't know if it's a cultural thing or if it just you know a, a more of a uh time you know in the 80s it's the now thing of comedy or whatever it was it, they it didn't feel like a good use of time um and it felt like you know you have these other ideas put them into other works perhaps i just didn't it just felt like it was crammed with so much stuff if it had all looped in together and added up to something, I would have, I think, probably felt like the time had been better spent. But it, it, they really were just interludes. There was nothing, there was no um, bringing well, together of those threads. Not from, a plot pers- not from a plot perspective. Right. Right? Thematically, right. of course. Thematically, it's all about like how humans love and interact with food. Of right? course, yeah. yes. Mm-hmm. But it, it's musings on a theme, which is fine. It just didn't feel... Like the movie didn't need to be two hours long. It it, it felt like it, it it could have been more focused, and I think it would have, for me it would have been a little bit better experience. That said, I really did like it. I I really found it. I would never have watched this movie if it wasn't for Devendra, and so I'm so grateful that All we. All right. Yeah, I, I'm so grateful that we watched it because it's it's great. It's really fun. There's One day so I'm many... going to crack open that Criterion disguise. I'm just <laughs> never, never going to believe it now. The, uh, did you so, watch it with your, your wife, chance. Jeff, or is it just you? No, she she yeah. went to bed before I, I gotcha. watched it. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah, I want to get to spoilers uh, pretty soon, but I'll just say, Devendra, yeah, I mean, I obviously had acquired the disc, so I was going to watch it at some point, probably. Um, but uh, this movie is a delight. You know, it's uh, we already talked about the first five minutes. I was already hooked from, from by then. Um it's about food, it's about appreciating food, but it's also about just what it takes to be excellent at something and how I I felt like the stakes were pretty low in this movie. Her ramen shop is not doing well, but it's not like she she says anything. I don't think at some point she says like, I'm going to go out of business or I'm going to lose everything I have, you know? It's like one yeah. of those 80s movies where like, we got to 
win the dance off to save the rec center, but like without even the stakes of like losing the rec center. Like I, I didn't <laughs> yeah. know that they it's would so, even, you know, it really, it's funny how even, you know, a Japanese movie is still so eighties, you know, it's, it's, it's got a montage, you know, it's, 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 it's heavily influenced, have the it's heavily influenced and inspired by American films, you know? So, yeah. yeah. Uh, but, and, and that's, what's kind of joyful. It's, you know, something that's been really sad in the last few years is seeing like America lose its stature in the world for a variety yeah. of reasons. And, uh, this one thing this movie does is show like at its best like one of our greatest exports was was our culture right it used to be at least and um mm-hmm. america as a country and as a culture was very aspirational and i think you really see that the love for america and american film that flows well, it's, throughout it's this not movie. just america by the way too like it's this to me this movie is a love and appreciation of culture in general right because american westerns were so many of them, especially Sergio yes. Leone Westerns, if you call them Americans, are based off of, you know, Japanese films. Yeah. Yeah. Yo, Yo, Jim, Yo films. Jimbo, you know, like as an example. And Yo it's, Jimbo, and it's like, Hidden Fortress. Uh, like, yeah. And and so... Uh, it's a back and forth. It's a back and forth. It's a, it's a, it's a, so yeah, you're, you're right. You're right. Maybe, maybe yeah. love is a, the wrong word, but I guess yeah, yeah. Seeing, seeing the dialogue of like American mm-hmm. and Japanese culture take place in this way is like really a yeah. delight. Um, no, it's, it's it's really interesting because like yeah, now it's uh it's basically a modern Western set in Japan, except like aping some of the old samurai ideas and then aping the cowboys walking right. into the saloon thing and the you know riding into town and fixing the problem yes, of riding off it's and so things good. like that. It's like, like it's it's so good. It's it's like see, it's just so you know because because we've seen modern westerns in in the U.S. Right, we've seen like yeah. west like uh, but then you see um this movie which is like. A Japanese movie from the '80s that's set in the '80s, but is also trying to be a Western in some ways, but using like Japanese '80s technology. It's just so interesting to see it like transplanted into that time and setting. Um, so I really liked it, and uh, I, I I agree with Jeff that I found the vignettes a little bit disorienting. Um, yeah. I and they, I think it's too much at once. Yeah, honestly. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and and there was like the, one of the problems I had with it is that like. Um, I didn't feel like the transitions between them were particularly smooth. Like, mm-hmm. there's some movies you see, like, I I remember watching this movie once that no one has watched, and I've never heard anyone talk about it. I think it's called 20 Bucks. And it basically tracks... Oh, um, I, I, dude, I know that movie. I watched... We we made a short <laughs> film in, in college called uh, 4 Minutes, 18 Seconds that is the exact same premise. Oh, nice. Huh. So, yeah. basically, that movie uh, chronicles the life of a $20 bill as it passes through, like, different people's hands, right? And, like... And it's like, it, now it's with these people, and that's with these people. And it tells a little story. And the, and then the unifying theme was that it's one $20 bill that you're, like, following throughout the course of the movie. And I wish that, like... I think the movie was trying to do that at some point. Like at one point, like one character runs past another character that's in. Yeah. And then like, now we're following the other character. And it's like, well, like that's really not a, that's not really a connection. You know, like <laughs> they're just, they're just near each other. You know, there's no, well, and then at the, well, I don't want to say the end, but the, yeah. there's a, a moment where a lot of people come to a place and I was like, Oh, is this how it's going to connect? Like it's all, it's all the people who, Right, you know, but no, no, nope, nope. yeah. So, so that was the only thing. But like, I love the fundamental idea of the movie, which is that like, it takes a lot of work to be excellent at something, and sometimes being excellent at something is worth it, just for the pleasure of being excellent at something. Um, yeah, and right. yeah, I I really appreciate that. So, uh, can we get the spoilers, Devendra? Anything else? I, I, sure. I have one th- last yeah. thing to yeah. say, which is that 
do not watch this movie hungry because do not it will do it not. will be very difficult i ate a lot of food watching this movie <laughs> yeah i mean it makes you really hungry so yeah um i also wouldn't watch this movie with your parents <laughs> gonna put that up there. well there's only like two uh, scenes but yeah it's only yeah. like two but yeah. even then it's like it depends on yeah, yeah and we should we should mention that there is fine. you know animal cruelty on screen um which there is which there may is. be upsetting to some people and you should just keep that in mind like animals are shown being tortured or slaughtered on screen and it's definitely not something that would fly in the u.s if this movie was made uh, today yeah, a, yeah. but I, I will throw this out there too because people bring up the turtle scene there is a scene where a turtle is killed on screen to make turtle soup and i've thought a lot about that too because it's it's not it's not tortured in a way, right? If you were to, if you were actually making that meal, you know, I think it kind of makes you think about where your food comes from. That turtle is killed quickly, at least like in the way that a hunter or somebody who respects the animals would do it. Um, I think back to like Old Boy, and Old Boy has a scene where you know Odesu eats a live octopus, and we know it's a real octopus. They did that scene four ta- like they did it four <laughs> times. Of him, and by the way, the uh, the actor Choi Min Sik is Buddhist and vegan, <laughs> and still ate a live live octopus four times for old boy. So that wouldn't fly in the U.S. either. Well, um, uh, I think that that trend has definitely uh, stuck around. I mean, our, our whole attitudes yeah. about food are so paradoxical. I mean, yeah, industrial yeah. farming and food. It, it's uh, like when you go to the store and buy chicken at the grocery store. Yep. It's like that chicken likely lived most of its life in agony. You know what I mean? And you, it's just, yeah, you don't see how it dies. You don't see how it dies. And it's like we don't we don't like consider it. It's just like it's just so weird what people care about. I'm not saying mm-hmm. there are not consistent people out there. There's some people who are like, I'm going to be vegetarian. That's it. You know, like I'm vegan yeah. or that's it. Yeah. Like that's cool. You know, I respect that. But like, if, sometimes people are just weirdly inconsistent about like what they care about. And people who like, eat, I will eat the meat, but don't yeah, show people me. Who eat that, well, meat, that's, you know, that's exactly yeah. right. Like what 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 about showing the preparation of turtle soup is different than showing yep. turtle soup right you know like it's, if yeah. you show a picture of turtle soup you can be certain that that turtle was killed to make turtle soup yeah, showing the killing sure. of the turtle i don't know if that's more cruel is is it's the same yeah, to me right. almost to me and this movie confronts like despite being so joyous and full of life this is a movie that confronts death and we will talk about that in some of the yeah, yeah once you go so, past spoilers so um but anyway my point is not to downplay the animal torture i'm just saying like yeah yeah i'm just yeah. saying like consider if you do eat meat consider that yep. like uh that what we do all the time you know um in many ways is worse than what's depicted in the film and act accordingly however your conscience tells you to do okay let's get to spoilers for tempopo <laughs> starting right now now you're looking for the secret. You're gonna see this coming? No. But you won't find it because of course. You're not gonna see this coming. You're not really looking. I have been puzzling over how it works. You don't really want to work it out. Who's in the box? I have been dying to tell you. I want to tell you my secret now. You want to be fooled. I really want to know what you guys think of uh, Mr. Gangster Dude, who I love. I love like, this movie is about liberating yourself and you know just really enjoying things. And they take it to the extreme with the gangster and his girlfriend where their eating is it's sex 
It's, (laughs) you know, they are, they are making love to each other by eating food and trying new things and having like, uh, putting shrimp in cognac and having it squirm on the woman's stomach. Like it is. Theoretically, the shrimp is drowning in cognac is what I read afterwards. So that's also theoretically torture as well. It's bad. That's definitely torture. Fucked up shit right there. Here's the kind of reaction I had with like. I had I had a couple of reactions, okay, watching the gangster guy. Number one reaction yep. was I felt like it was like, you know, the galaxy brain meme or like, you know, the Vince McMahon. Is, is it Vince McMahon, like the the, the wrestling guy? Have you seen that yes. meme? You know what I'm talking yes. about, Jeff? Yeah. Yes. yeah Where yeah, it yeah. like shows him like kind of surprised and then like progressively more and more shocked in the meme. Yeah. That's kind yeah. of how I felt watching uh, White Suit Gangster. It's like, oh, yeah. sharing a cake with your girlfriend. Oh, kind of <laughs> cool. That's a mm, I might want to try that. You know, share yeah. like uh, putting like uh, salt on uh, someone's nipple and licking it off. Mm, interesting. Okay, <laughs> I try that someday. And sure. then, the, worst, yeah. the worst one was <laughs> squeezing the lemon and then the seeds fall out. Oh, the and then seeds. he yeah. sucks the Oh my seeds god, seeds. the I'm seeds. Like, Clean the no. seeds out there, buddy. That's no, no, disgusting. no, 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 no. Use no, a cheesecloth, guy. <laughs> Um, <laughs> the, you gotta separate your cheesecloth from your beloved. Come on! I was, then, uh, I was thinking, like, yeah, oh man, well, this this movie is definitely food porn, and I was like, oh wait, it's actually it food. It's actually food porn <laughs> in many and then, ways. And then by the but then by the time you get to shrimp, it's like, oh, I'm no longer interested in this. Like, I'm like, I'm like, cause the whole time I'm watching, I'm like, hmm, I might try this someday. And then you get to the shrimp, and I'm like, nope. I'm out. I'm, <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm noping dude, out of this. What the fuck is the, the egg yolk, dude? The fuck is the that? Egg yolk. It is. It is. You you can think of it in so many ways too. Like the symbolism of that in this movie, because the very last shot is just a baby breastfeeding, right? Yeah. And yeah, food. it is. Dude. It is amazing. It's food, uh, but it's like amazing. They're juggling life between them in a way, but it's definitely also like fetishized in a way. Oh almost yeah. Like almost like pornography. Like by by the end of that scene. I love it because I mean, it is it's, sort of like they're they're escalating. They are escalating this idea of loving and how much you can love and appreciate this thing. And I kind of love that these are two consenting adults who are just like gung ho for playing this game. Yeah, we gotta be. And we gotta re- be sex positive here on, on the podcast, very much. Jeff. You know? Yeah. Uh, if people, if, if we gotta be sex positive, if two consenting yeah, no, no, adults want to pass an egg yolk between them uh, endlessly, I don't want to say. I don't want to kink shame. I'm wrong. not kink shaming. I'm just saying I didn't want to watch it. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Most definitely. It goes. Back I'm not kink shaming. I'm just saying you repulse me. No thanks. No thanks. You do you. Just don't make me watch. Just don't do it for. What's amazing about that scene is it's all done in one long continuous shot, so it's yes. like they couldn't fake that thing, right? Oh, they did. And how it, many dude. times did they do that, man? And then it's clearly she. We're clearly meant to think that she has an orgasm. Yeah. Oh yeah. As yeah. that thing explodes all over Listen, her mouth. If you, if you made five <laughs> passes, Jeff, I think you would too. So, okay. so it's like we did it. We did it. The, I want to um, know the discussion of like, okay, honey, I got an, I got another idea. I know you loved the shrimp drowning on your belly button thing that was fucking amazing yeah i agree yeah high fives on that idea that was great it worked out well i got a new one though i got a new one hear, hear me out hear me out five passes of an egg yolk the the thing i, I could not stop how, thinking about was yes there's an episode of seinfeld where george costanza uh like e- eats a sandwich while he's or like he starts eating while yeah. he's having sex and then he, he what ends up happening is he combines Sex and food into, according to Jerry Seinfeld, one uncontrollable. Clearly, he had just seen a single uncontrollable urge, and (laughs) I just could not stop thinking about George Costanza 
during those sex scenes. That like <laughs> this is basically that episode of Seinfeld. Okay, maybe that maybe that's where Seinfeld got it from. I don't know. Um, yeah. Uh, okay. So uh, <laughs> also, gangster gangster gets uh, was it oysters at one point, which is just. Uh, my my objection, not really an objection. I think that scene is like really interestingly constructed. That girl looks like she is fifteen years old. Oh, if or that, something. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So yeah. that's sort of like, oh, buddy, what are we doing that, here? That's kind of um, not cool. Um, that's to, unsanitary. We're supposed to believe that's her younger, right? That's how they met, right? I, I don't know. Maybe a, I don't think they ever set that yeah, up. Yeah, I don't think it was really, really. explained, which kind of goes towards what we were talking about in terms of the vignettes. Did you have a favorite one? I'll say that like. I appreciated the one where the young worker kind of yes. uh, like shows up all his superiors who like, yeah. or, so basically they, the, these superiors all gather in this room at this fancy restaurant. They order the worst things, right? Like yeah. nothing enjoyable. And then this young person- Well, they, they, order, they order the one thing that the the top guy yeah. wants. And even he's not sure about it, but yeah. because they're so insecure, they're like, okay, uh, yes, we'll just have that. And I like how, old, but I, right? I like how they make it seem like they also just, it just yes. occurred to them yeah. to yeah. have oh, that. Yeah, yeah, we should get the concept. I think I'll have the soul. Yeah, I'll have the soul, yeah, definitely. Yeah. And then the, the younger, the youngin, the young whippersnapper orders up like, you know, the fancy things and sh- shows his knowledge. But of he, cause he knows, he knows what's up. Right. And that's the difference between knowing and not knowing and appreciating where you are. And it, it, and then it, he like forms a rapport with the waiter because the waiter's like, oh, this yeah, guy, you, can, he knows what's up. He knows what's up. Yeah, and and yeah. It's, it's, it's a really interesting statement about the, the democratizing nature of food, I think, which is that like yeah. even uh, somebody who is like the lowest of the low at a company mm-hmm. can still appreciate fine dining you know um well it's it's about being adventurous too like the young person the person right. not you know steeped in tradition and the old ways of things he is the one willing to like you know explore what's this this was french food right and explore like that those many different things and he's not ashamed about it in a way even though like he's being abused by his superior like being hit and kicked and everything whenever he he does something wrong I yeah that 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 to me is the perfect encapsulation of when these vignettes work and yeah I also thought I, the I, one I where the, all them the wife way. was dying and gets up and cooks a last yes. meal was like yes the, it's a little bit upsetting because you upsetting. know she's kind of like working herself mm-hmm. to death but I felt like if it was like a Simpsons episode or a Simpsons vignette mm-hmm. like I would it's like. Straight out of The Simpsons of like... Oh, yeah. He's like, sure, sure, sure. just keep eating, bitch, yeah, you would have loved eating. this. That's like totally something a Simpsons character would say. Yeah, like, keep bitch eating, bitch it's your last... Bitch, bitch you would have loved this. She would have loved it. Yeah, it's like, if it was like You're a cartoon... Maybe more of, Futurama, too. I, I, yeah. I would have really laughed a lot more if it's a cartoon, but because it's like... An, I, don't, I don't think it's about laughing either, because it's like, it is an expression of love. It's true. Too, like, in a way. Yeah, to make yeah. food, yeah. I like, the, uh, I like the old guy who can't help himself, but eat so hard that he chokes every time like his his handlers know that that's what's going to happen but they yep. still leave him alone with the food and then we literally vacuum cleaner it out of him <laughs> that was good um and also you know we what's what struck me while watching this movie is how there have been so few movies like it in the time since you know so usually yeah. when we watch There's a, nothing like this movie when we watch yes. a classic movie you're like oh yeah this inspired movies like blank and blank and i've seen movies like that but they're like there's so few movies like this like there's a underground society of uh gourmet chefs right in this movie that they're, they're all like expert <laughs> yeah. 
chefs and <laughs> but like, also no, homeless i guess yeah and also homeless well, they're, just... they're not i mean they're they're homeless people who have skills yeah i would yeah not all gourmet chefs or, but they, they, they have, appreciate they appreciate good food yeah. you know and it's like they have the craft and they can appreciate it but you may not think that looking at these yeah. you know dirty old men in the park or something yeah yeah, yeah. uh anyway I, I know we're really mm-hmm. uh running long today but anything else you want to talk about in terms of the ending devendra well, I'll say if you, if any of you enjoyed this movie, be sure to check out Eat, Drink, Man, Women, which is Ang Lee's, uh, like amazing Taiwanese movie from the mid nineties. It is, it's not as much about food in the way this is, but I think thematically that movie is about how like food connects people mm. and kind of, yeah, you can, you can build relationships around it. Um, I have to say like every, there are some vignettes that never really clicked with me, like the, the women running around squeezing peaches. Yeah. But then like the more I watch this movie though, it's like, it's weird, but it's like, yeah, her, this is all she has. All she has is like, she goes to the store and she like, oh, this, this is really fresh. This is a really fresh peach or a fresh loaf of bread or something. That's probably one that could be cut, but yeah. I, and the, I've and seen this movie so many one, times. And it's the like, dentist one could be cut too. I just feel it, you know. Oh. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. But but at the same, like this is because this movie is so unique. It's like you cut those scenes; they won't exist anywhere else. Is the thing. Like the story behind this movie is that Juzo Itami had all these ideas, right? right? He is somebody who has been to a lot of restaurants, tried many different food. He is a worldly person, and he could never. This is his second feature. He was never really able to like pull one of these ideas into a movie, and I believe the. The star, the woman who played Tampopo, Nobuko Miyamoto, was just like, make this movie, make you know, just make this thing with all your ideas. That's his uh, real and life wife, it. I believe, right? The director's wife? I believe so. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And they made a bunch of movies after and, you know, throughout the 90s. I have not seen any of those, but I need to go back and do that because I, I love this movie so much. I love the way it speaks to humanity and craft and everything. A couple of other random like notes, that. by the way. So, go ahead, Jeff. I was just thinking it does feel like that uh, that scene with the woman in the store is literally like the director saw yep. a woman do that one time and was like, man, that's yeah. weird. I'll put that in the movie. You know, <laughs> I, like, I put collect these the stories. I'm sure, I'm sure you yeah. guys have all these stories like in your brains, but like just walking around New York, I could, I could craft a story out of all the wild shit I've seen inside of New York, and it feels like that for him, yeah. I did, I did think it was weird. There was this one mo- moment in the movie that was so weird where she's about to get glammed up, you know, the makeup. And then, mm-hmm. like, he comes in after seeing her glammed up, and she looks exactly the same as she did before. <laughs> I, know. I thought that I was too. Like, Is this supposed to be a parody of these scenes? You know what I, I mean? Like, that too. I was like, <laughs> I was like, I can't wait to see what they did because it, it's it's clearly like, you know, we're supposed to see this magical transformation. But then they do the transformation after that. Yeah, it's so it's so weird. It's it's so weird. Anyway, like she's. The uh, one that he freaks out about is her in the chef costume, and then they do like magical transformation of her in a nice gown. Eighties, eighties, yeah, uh, eighties yeah, going out outfit. I also point out this movie, I believe, is one of the first in Japan to use like um, somebody who is prepping the food, like the way the food looked, the way they were shooting the food. Like there was somebody on staff who just looked after the food. And then you can, I think the one main influence of this movie is like, it affects every food movie afterwards. Mm. Like if you're making a food movie, you know Tom Popo. So even Jiro Dreams of Sushi, it's a documentary. It's a very different thing. But the way they shoot certain things, like I see similarities there. Um, Everybody, if you love food, you know this movie. So I I feel like the language of this movie, the food language of it has definitely lived on. You know, Jeff, you were talking earlier about like how 
this movie feels like a bunch of ideas crammed in together. I agree. It it does hinder the main narrative in some ways, but it, it is also just kind of, it ends with that shot of like, and yep. I don't think we know those characters, do we? Right? Like, no. Nope. It's just like, here is giving and consumption of food at its like most basic form, which right. kind of ties yeah. the whole thing together in some way. But it, it is it is life and it is love and it is everything in that one shot. I love how, by the way, you pan the the camera follows the truck like driving down the seaway, like them riding into the sunset, basically. Mm, yeah. And it's a very, very, very long shot. Like that's that's a big long zoom lens or something you could feel. And then it just pans over to the left to the park and like we focus on these people. And that's all that's all you get. But the way this movie is not connected like narratively i think or um you know it, on a plot level but it does kind of like bring things together and to me what's fascinating is like all these stories existing side by side um it reminds me of like um alfonso coron's stuff too like the way itumama tambien kind of weaves in and out of different narratives mm. and things existing side by side this movie is a much harsher about it cuz the cuts aren't as fluid the camera you know the camera isn't as mobile as like Korans is, but to me, you see the the seeds of that idea there too. All right. Well, why don't we leave it there? Uh, that's our discussion of Tampopo, which you can stream right now on HBO Max. It's also in the Criterion Collection, and you can buy and rent it online. Uh, you can find more episodes of this podcast at slashfilmcast.com. Email us at slashfilmcast at gmail.com. Our theme song comes from adamwarrock.com. Our spoiler bumper comes from filmmaker and YouTuber Kyle Hillinger. This episode was edited by Beatty Zhang. Stay tuned to your we'll be discussing next week. In the meantime, Kanata. Where can we find more of your work on the internet? Well, you can follow me on Twitter. I'm at Jeff Kanata, which is spelled with two N's and one T. I have a video game podcast called DLC. You can find that at 5by5.tv slash DLC. I have a comedy science show called We Have Concerns. You can find that at wehaveconcerns.com. And I do a long-form Dungeons & Dragons show. If you're sick of hearing me talk about other people's <laughs> stories and you want to find out what stories I'm telling... Check out the dungeon run. In fact, this week, it's huge, huge. In fact, while we were recording this episode, it happened. IGN has picked up an episode of the dungeon run. Uh, Check it out there at IGN. Um, Let them know that it's a good idea to be partnering with us and and putting out the show. It's a really cool episode this week. It's in a haunted house. The heroes fight ghosts and poltergeists and little creepy baby porcelain dolls and we have this virtual set that you can check you have to see it so check that out over at ign uh you can find dungeon run on youtube as well as an audio podcast we record it live wednesday nights at 6 p.m pacific time at caffeine.tv slash the dungeon run how about you davindra Oh, you can find me on Twitter at, at Devendra. I write about tech at Engadget.com. I'm also hosting the Engadget podcast, so be sure to check that out on iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. We just talked with a professor of uh, health psychology about why people think 5G is making them sick, because it is uh, it is kind of wild, but it's also like not completely made up, which is the weird thing. So be sure to check that out. And also say, Jeff, um, if you guys are ever doing a like one-off story or something, I, I I love me some tabletop, so I will happily do some dungeon running with you. Ah, Hope to see more of that that's soon. Good to know, man. Yeah, well, definitely. Yeah, shout out. Awesome. Check out my other podcast, Culturally Relevant, at culturallyrelevantshow.com. Uh, have a last dance review as well as a discussion of the Skywalker legacy with Patrick Willems, which is a documentary about the making of the rise of Skywalker. Um, next week current plan so uh we have reviewed a movie that jeff wanted to watch the lost boys we've reviewed a movie that devinder wanted to watch tempopo 
we're gonna get to my movie at some point in the future, but not next week. Currently, the plan is to is to do next week a movie that has just come out on video on demand. It's called The Vast of Night. It's streaming right now on Amazon mm. Prime. We got this email from Luke from Santa Ana, California, who writes in. Uh, just wanted to recommend The Vast of Night, a new film that appeared on Amazon. I knew nothing about it prior to watching and in the interest of preserving that experience for you. I'm not going to provide any information about it here except to say it was my favorite movie of the year so far and I recommend it unreservedly. A good, nay, great sit. Oh, boy. Luke. I will tell you, I have seen it. It was re- recommended to me uh, months ago by friend of the show, Danish Syed. Uh, whose recommendations I take uh, very, very seriously. He uh, never s- led me wrong. I watched it, and I agree, it is my favorite movie of the year. Whoa. Even better than Sonic the Hedgehog. <laughs> uh, okay. Next week, The Vast of Night. Stay tuned for that. Thanks for listening. We'll see you later. He watched the